For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts. Uh, reports coming in as we're coming on air this morning of a very serious accident on Shandon, Shandon Street this morning. Emergency services are at the scene dealing with it. It's described as a very serious accident um, involving uh, an individual. Now, I also see from this morning that there were savage delays uh, traffic-wise, and a lot of this has to do with the fog and the mist and maybe people slowing down, thankfully. Um, there was a crash on the N71 and in a Shannon as well. Very dense fog around the place. Um, and it also led to a multi-vehicle accident by the bypass near Ballancolic, apparently, things like that. I also see texts from this morning talking about people in their motor cars either not lighting up or, you know, having fog lights on in urban areas. Uh, some kind uh, of lights have to be on, guys. Dipped headlights as you're going about. It's not so bad now that it's brightening up, but in the early dark mornings, it's so important. Paper-wise, this morning, a bumper jazz festival ex- is expected. It's the front page, the kind of headline you love to see on the front of newspapers because all too often it's worrying or, or negative news. But 53,000 passengers are expected to pass through uh, Cork Airport over the bank holiday weekend, and they are ready to welcome there, as always, the good staff at Cork Airport. So it should be a bumper Guinness Cork Jazz Festival, um, regardless of the fact that it could well be a showery one, but we'll we'll take it on the chin and get out there and enjoy. I'll have live jazz in studio uh, starting uh, tomorrow and running right across, uh, well, certainly Friday, and, uh, you know, we'll get the jazz started uh, live. Uh, sadly, the front page of many of the Red Tops um, does have very disturbing news. You know of Yusuf Polani, uh, who's been sent away now for killing, slaying Aidan Moffat and Michael Snee up in Sligo last year. Uh, apparently the papers are saying that this grinder, because he met them on Grinder, this killer, he's a homophobe, uh, he had his next victim lined up already by all accounts and Gardy swooped just in time because he was about to plan to meet another man. That is um, a very disturbing story of those that walk amongst us. Um, the Ashling Murphy uh, murder trial, or the murder trial um, you know, that's inquiring and uh, investigating and leading to a court case into her death. Uh, in which Yosef Pushka um, from County Offaly has pleaded not guilty to her murder. Um, it's very, very sad um, that her Fitbit recorded uh, her last moments. In fact, uh, when you think of it, it's just beyond sad. Ashling Murphy's Fitbit recorded her heartbeat stopping after it rapidly decreased around erratic and violent movements. The court heard the Fitbit captured her last moments her dying breath and her heart stopping. Isn't that so, so sad? And of course, we all know of the awful tragic death of uh, Tina Satchwell. Um, we will let um, the court proceedings take their case in that one. Um, but the family and friends will say goodbye to Tina today, uh, privately and quietly at a private funeral. Uh, many of the papers carry it. I'm reading it in the sun today. And Mooney has the story. She says Tina's neighbours will also pay their respects because her funeral cortege will pass her former home in Fromoy. Um, Tina uh, grew up in the town and lived in the area of St. Bernard's Place in Fromoy um, for many, many years. Her family added on RIP.ie that her funeral will take place privately and quietly which was the way that she lived her life. So the funeral cortege will pass through St. Bernard's Place at half past 12 today. And I'm sure that many people, beautiful people from Moy, will be out quietly standing and bowing their heads as her funeral cortege passes along different areas of Fromoy, including her old family home. 
um, or yesterday. Um, the papers this morning, you heard in the news this morning, um, the case of uh, the swervy Gurdy man, as they call him in the star today, uh, Donovan Leach. He's been convicted of dangerous driving in Skibbereen. It, this is in February. Apparently, he had attended a, a pre-recording of the Tommy Tiernan show on RTE. Now, he's from and and living in, um, in Castle Martyr, in the Castle Martyr area. Um, sorry, my apologies, Castle Magnar, um, but um, in Can- up around Cantark. But he was driving west to Skibbereen, apparently, when he was pulled over. I, I believe it was another motorist, Veronica Hooley, um, who was a passenger in another car, was behind Donovan, um, behind his car. And she said that the driver in front of me it was driving in a manner that made her apprehensive. Um, so the car was going over and back over the white line and from the left-hand side or over to the right-hand side and things like that. So that was much of the evidence that made court yesterday before Judge uh, McNulty. Um, he had a charge of failing to provide uh, an intoxilizer sample, like the bag, to the guardie, uh, but that was dismissed by the judge. It turned out that he has chronic, severe COPD and restrictive lung disease. So he wasn't able to puff enough air uh, for the intoxilizer machine to work at Bantry Garda Station. Uh, but he was convicted of dangerous driving in, in Skibbereen, and that's a story that makes uh, many of the papers today. Uh, he's 77 years old. Um, uh, the papers also carry more stories with regards to people in Middleton who feel as if they're invisible or forgotten about with regards to uh, flood damage. There's a story in the Examiner today talking to some of the residents. They talk about Pauline Duggan, uh, who's lived down in Beechwood uh, Drive in Middleton for 30 years. She says now that even sleeping and eating in the days since the flood has proved difficult. She says, we're here 30 years. Never seen anything like it before. It came like a river. So much was destroyed, yet we cannot get flood cover. She says, I wake up in the night crying. Uh, homes across Beachwood Drive and besieged by rushing. And I mean, really, you may have seen the videos online. Uh, really flash floods at an incredible pace and incredible power. And this happened within minutes, flooding the downstairs, literally within, within minutes. And all too often, we've been hearing the stories, and it was a tragic, sad story of a family with a very sick son yesterday on the air where furniture and appliances and flooring and kitchen units and white goods and uh, windows, everything uh, thrown out, everything either buckled or smashed. Papers also talk of a bitter row that has split the cabinet. And I was talking about this briefly yesterday and indeed last week because um, Fine Gael uh, and the Integration Minister, Roger Gorman, wants to change the way we look after uh, Ukrainian refugees. Now, there's uh, almost 100,000 refugees have arrived in Ireland uh, since the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Um, the plan, and some of this on the air on Monday, is that um, there would only be 90 days or three months um, of uh, provided accommodation. Um, and that after 90 days, they would have to find their own accommodation here. Um, now, there's a split right down the middle on that one. After three months, they'd have to find accommodation in the private rental sector uh, because we're way out of step with a lot of the rest of Europe that is no way as near as generous as we are when it comes uh, to um, accommodation and finances for Ukrainian refugees. Now, Michael Martin is having none of it. And he was described yesterday at Cabinet as being very agitated about the proposal. So that's interesting to see where that one will go. And I'll be coming back to it a little later on this morning. Where do, And so if, if they have to find their own accommodation and they can't, 
Will that put pressure on local authorities then to find somewhere? Uh, and who will pay for that? But you have to ask the question, because it's being asked by a TG Cahar documentary tonight at half past nine, how Ireland went from being a poor country that housed its citizens and did so very well when we were poor to one of the world's richest countries and record homelessness. So I'm very interested to watch that tonight. Uh, we go back. The documentary goes back to 1923 when the uh, former Irish rebels, uh, um, you know, after the civil war was over and everything, then were tasked with rebuilding the country. So the Free State um, was founded. And we had for many decades up until then, and for some time afterwards, many people living in tenements and in slums. Um, and it was a slow process, but they built and built and built. And of course, the evidence of that is in many of the suburbs, you know, half of the north side, whether it's Mayfield or, you know, Churchfield or Grand Abraher, areas like that. South side, Balfihan, Toker, areas on the south side as well that were literally built by local authorities and government to house Irish people. So that'll be interesting to see um, TG Carr tonight at, at half past nine. Of course, um, the issues regarding Israel and Gaza and Hamas dominates, dominates much of the international news. Um, I see this morning the sun carries the front page of one of the freed Hamas hostages telling yesterday after she was released, uh, Yosheved Lifshitz, an 85-year-old, she was held for 16 days in hell. She said, I went through a nightmare um, and uh, it was literally led to freedom yesterday through a spider's web of underground tunnels. She describes my hell in the spider's web of Hamas tunnels. And that's the story making the sun today. Do you know that story of the fellow who they can't identify exactly who he is uh, because he was arrested at the passport office on the South Mall in September and he had... Um, he had passports belonging to babies that allegedly died in the 1950s. Well, apparently, Cork RD and detectives are now saying that they've liaised with the FBI and they finally have provided the identity of who this man is. Uh, been, he's been in custody for several weeks, allegedly applying for passports in the names of babies who died in the 1950s. They know his name. They've been dealing with fingerprints. But they didn't disclose the name in court yesterday. So that's one that has a little bit more to run as we find out exactly who he might be. But don't you love that story with regards to passwords? I'm going to come back to this a little later on this morning. Um, new research out uh, with regards to Corkonians in particular and the passports, passwords, I should say, that we use when it comes to our laptops or our phones or our bank accounts or anything that you need a password for online. Cork Bio says that we love using words like Langer, Tanora, and Carrigaline. I suppose Carrigaline people would. Many others then use dates of birth. Uh, on Lee side, the top ones are Langer, Cork City, Shandon Bells, Cork City Football Club, as they say, Carrigaline, Tanora, Roy Keane, and Sonia O'Sullivan. So it could be like Roy Keane 2275 asterisk or something like that. You get me? Listen, I just made up that password. Incidentally, it's not real. Uh, but the one that gets hacked most on Lee side is people who use Langer as a password, apparently. Um, it's way ahead. Second most hacked, Roy Keane. I mean, there are other ones then on a national and international level, which I will come back to throughout the course uh, of the morning. Um, I don't know what kind of passwords you use, whether they're maybe family names or a pet's name or, a, you know... Tanora is a big one on Side. The Shandon Bells is a big one on Leeside. Um, I'll talk about pets, actually. See that new jet now that's going to fly from uh, Ireland, from Dublin, over to New Jersey. Um, it is a private jet company that will cater to Irish dog owners and their pets. 
You can take your pet on the airplane. You have to pay. It's not going to be free. It could be $8,500, about €8,000 per seat, which would include the passenger and a large dog. I know if it's a massive passenger and a massive dog. Um, I don't know what kind of size the seat would be. But I love one of the quotes, actually, um, from uh, a gentleman who makes the papers today in response to it, an environmentalist. His name is John Gibbons. He says, This is the kind of insanity that precedes the collapse of civilization at end stage as capital, capitalism enters its palliative stage. I think that's brilliantly put. I wish I could write or speak like that. And also the papers this morning tell us of dropping to the ground and give me 22, as in 22 minutes of daily exercise. For that is what we all need if you want to live a decent life. Brisk walking, housework and jogging will offset the impact of the office job that has you sitting on your butt all day or watching television all night, every night. And the older you get, the more you need to do it. Yes, brisk exercise is very important, particularly as you get older. But so is some form um, of weight training or anything that involves pushing weights or straightening or exercise that will get the body moving. Uh, it's not just about a brisk walk, actually, if you want to stand straight and have a good spine. But anyway, it's it's all about what you should do. If, for instance, like for instance, I mean, if you sit and work all day, imagine the curvature in your spine. If you're dealing with the laptop, you're probably slu- uh, hunching forward. Uh, it's the same for people who are working from home. It's different for people who are standing with regards to what they do for a living or work-wise. But for people who sit down, very, very dodgy. And also, you heard in the news there at uh, nine o'clock, um, what, what, people get dressed up for Halloween, right? But it strikes me as extraordinary that what people, and particularly kids, are get, get dreading, getting dressed up in has absolutely nothing, not, little or nothing to do with Halloween. So they're not Halloween costumes, they're fancy dress. So what's happening now at Halloween, because it's been completely and utterly robbed, Samhain, and Iha and Samhain, has been robbed really by Hollywood. And that's why you see in the papers this morning the most popular costumes for that's what they are really, fancy dress or anything to do with Barbie for the girls or Ken for the boys unless that's changed, it possibly has costumes from the Adams family um, costumes from uh, ninja costumes with the mask and the strapped on sword, Spider-Man costumes um, or classic Disney princesses what in the name of God has that got to do with Halloween. It's fancy dress. Where, no, but where are the witches' costumes and the skeleton costumes? There were, the... Should we witches or skeletons? <laughs> Full stop. <laughs> That's the only thing, so. We're but limited to witches and skeletons. No maybe, other... zo- maybe zombie costumes. Yeah, they're still, they still go around. I love the, the satirical ones. Like, you know, the fellas who went around with the fake gates attached to them and said they were uh, Enoch Barker. You know, the. No. I love those. I'm not having any of it. <laughs> That's actually, that's actually I think that's mocking an individual who's got his own troubles incidentally but that's for another day how, how and ever why, why would you have ninja Spider-Man or Disney princesses traipsing the streets I lose loads of listeners saying this now yeah. because they're sons and daughters yeah. if you go out in those things uh, so. it's, it's just another grumpy old rant no, from you no 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 oh, it's yeah. not a grumpy yeah. old rant it's nothing to do we have literally been robbed of a tradition that has been Hollywooded and Americanized and fed back to us but sure the zombies and the skeletons are only because of the scary movies that we watch around Halloween anyway do you know what I mean like what's the what's the correlation between zombies and Halloween intrinsically well it, because of the day of the dead the Day of the Dead and the rising of the dead yeah. and the movement of our spirits like, when the veil is at its weakest that's but again the connection. pumpkins 
the Americanized we, American, we were destroyed. It was it was turnips. Yeah. And an Irish went to America during the famine and they brought their tar- their Halloween traditions with them, yeah. right? But there's no turnips in America, right? So they incorporated pumpkins instead. But it was always turnips here. We don't use turnips anymore because we got invaded by the pumpkin. Destroy, it's destroyed. It's destroyed. It. It's, destroyed. It's, it's the red squirrel of, of, of Halloween. And if, and if, and I, I think the thing about Halloween is that um, it's it's an opportunity, and I I, I would feel like this was intrinsically what it was when it was Samhain is that it was an opportunity for people to connect with another side of themselves right so for but some that, people I know that but what's that got to do with Barbie because you costumes? can dress the fancy dress side of things you, you can you can play another role you don't have to be yourself you don't have to wear the same boring clothes you wear every day but make more of an effort out. like try and keep the tradition alive uh, in the you, proper sense but sure the, the, I mean, the, even if it's a white sheet taken off the bed thrown over your head with two little holes go traipsing around the roads for Halloween no I just I, I, I love the fact that it's kind of like all sense goes out the window on Halloween night when it comes to dressing right. up people just people embrace the other side of themselves they embrace being able to dress up and have fun I, I, I really like it and I, I love the satirical ones I just love the ones that something happened in the year and you've, you've actually forgotten that it's happened and then somebody turns up in a costume it's a Joker costume from Batman yeah Come on. it's scary Joker's scary no but it's not Halloween but that doesn't have to be Halloween dress up like the Banshee with all kind of a scraggly wig combing your hair as the Banshee used to do. Like, I don't know well, how, do we sto- how do we stop it do we, do we well, send out a, a vigilante I want a, I want a law yeah. passed okay. Yeah. All right, okay. On Halloween police out Halloween there. police out there, yeah. <laughs> Text 0868 104 106 for your thoughts on that back after the break. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818 104 106. Cork's Red FM. It was Mad Keen all week to talk to Cloda actually about her, her 181 Say It Ibiza because we saw the photograph and it was the photograph of the roof of her car or for Say It Ibiza because only the top of the roof was visible. I know it is very serious. The entire car was underwater apart from the actual roof itself. Claudia, good morning. Morning, Neil. How are oh you? Oh, my God almighty. Um, so you were parked up. Were you, were you at work down Middleton Way or what was it? Yeah, exactly. So um, I work in the main street of Middleton. So you can kind of just park down like the back alley road, park there um, most days, like no issues, you know. And I know I was driving to work in the morning. The weather was a bit bad. didn't think anything of it. So I parked the car down the back and by the time I came back out of lunchtime, unbeknownst to myself how bad the floods had got and my car was underwater. But you couldn't have even walked over to it. I mean, it was that deep, no. right? No, no, like it happened like a snap of finger and a blink of eye. Like it happened so quickly, no warning. Like by the time I got out of my lunch and went, went to walk down in my car, I was rounding the corner and there was a big flood coming up to meet me and just chaos everywhere. So you literally had to wait then. Car is completely underwater now, right? Mm. So when the water dropped back down, you were able to visit the car and look at the state of it. What what kind of condition was it in? Oh my god, it was diabolical. There's word, no words for it. Like as in where I originally parked it, it had floated halfway down the road. Um, obviously, it hit many things along the way. So, like, it was all, it was all, the outside of it is all battered and it was just completely right off. Like, it was in really? a tin can from Marine. Oh, my yeah. God. I thought it was just a case of, you know, I was going to be asking you whether the water got in or was it damp inside. It actually, fl- it floated and got bashed up. Yeah. Yeah. So, 
not only was there dealing with the inside of it being a swim pool, the outside of it is just completely destroyed as well. So water totally fills the interior of a car in a situation like that, does it? Oh yeah, absolutely. Because like, when I was able to get back to visit it on Thursday morning, like I couldn't even get the doors open. I could just look in the window and the water was still up to the seat. There was still like a swimming pool inside it. Oh God. Oh my God. So is that, is it totally written off then? Yeah, so like at the moment with the insurance, like it got um, taken away by the salvage company. So it's just waiting to be assessed now um, to uh, confirm it is the write-off. But like you can tell, like there's no repairing that car. Like you couldn't start it. Um, It was causing obstruction as well. Like so the fire brigade had to pry the the car door open because like obviously you couldn't even unlock it so they literally had to pry the car door open and just put down the handbrake to roll it out of way of obstruction until the salvage company came. Were there other cars around you that also got submerged? Oh my God, so many. Really? As in literally totally submerged? Yes, 100%. Yeah, I, I, it's awful for the people in Milton. So many cars along with the homes as well like on that street were just gone. Were the other cars floating around the place as well on the water? Yeah, there was other ones, uh, as you continue to go down the road, um, like, again, crashed into each other, causing obstruction on the road completely. It had been submerged underwater. Like cork tops, they, the power of the water can shift cars like that and float them around like a, like a rubber duck in a bath. Yeah, it was frightening, really. Isn't it? Yeah, absolutely frightening. Yeah. And Especially how quickly it all happened. W- would many people have had possessions inside in the cars, I wonder? Well... I, I did anyway I suppose I mean, especially being a girl half my life is inside the car half oh the <laughs> I had so many things inside the car as well. your whole like, life I, inside and I know what you mean I have a daughter in her yeah. 20s and she's not unlike you to be honest yeah, God. Mm. and is there, there there not be any problem with AXA writing it off for you will there um, well, I'm still waiting. Hopefully not. Do you know what I mean? I have comprehensive covers, so I'm praying to God. I don't want to count my eggs before they hatch. But, um, you know, even then, it just comes into the issue then of, you know, like, I this is on a, it's a 182 seat pizza. Like, it's only my second year. It's my first nice car I ever bought for myself on finance. I work two jobs. So, like, I have to pay off the rest of the finance and try to figure out how to get a new car over the rest of the money if I get anywhere near the market value so it's been a lot of stress at the moment Fingers crossed that you do I've always found AXA to be great in the past I hope that they'll do the right thing for you Two jobs you tell me do you mind me asking why? Please suppose with the the drive of inflation and stuff at the moment you know and the way cost of living crisis are like one job is just not meeting my needs like so you know just you know especially like my car was my pride and joy and like it gets me to my two jobs like and just be able to pay that off and still live you know just in these hard times you know and forgive me but is that a day job and a night job or a day job and a weekend job or or what yeah so i work full-time nine to five monday to friday um in a local business and then i also work in the local gym on reception um in the evenings and at the weekends as well but you have no free time yeah, I always find a way. Like, I mean, like, I the two jobs are great to work for, you know, and like they're very fair with hours and giving me time off as well and looking after me. So, you know, I do burn the candle at both ends, like, but I always do try to find time for me anyway. <laughs> you have long days, though, that's for sure. Up early, mm-hmm. getting to bed late, yeah. exhausted. Yeah. Is that the yeah, kind, I mean, if you're, with regards to your generation, do you despair about, you know, having to do that in Ireland in 2023? 
So the opportunity yeah, like, I mean, I'm, not, I'm not the only person, like, especially just the way everything's going at the moment, you know, with, with the cost of everything, like, and this happening to me as well at the moment, like, look, I can't say, look, luckily it is just a car, but, like, I suppose that's my breadline, you know, like, and, like, trying to add the stress now of figuring out how I'm going to pay for a new one, trying to make up, like, more money out of paying off the finance to get another one, it's, it, it's been a stress a few days trying to figure out. Oh, sure, I know. And uh, listen, I know it is. And that's your stress. Others, of course, is their business. And for others, their home, you know. Are, are many of your pals working two jobs just to get by? Um, yeah, you, there would be a lot of us, um, you know, in, uh, around this age that you just have to do it. Like, you know, if we want to be able to afford to not only pay our bills, but I suppose to actually in our age live and enjoy ourselves, like, you know, yeah, the cost of rent and things. Think, yeah, yeah. You know, there's always there's always something. Everything just keeps going up, and but nothing, but not the wages. You know. Have you many friends of yours that headed off to the likes of your Australia's or America or Canada? None of my immediate friends, but a lot of people that I went to school with. I can see just from social media and uh, and Joe around the town that a lot, a lot of people are absolutely gone off to Canada and Australia again, like. Is there anything you ever discovered, did, 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 thought about doing? Oh, 100%. Like, I suppose, like, I'm 26 at the moment, and it's always kind of been my dream to kind of, uh, you know, get out of here before I'm 30, like, but it's just trying to get into the financial position to do so, really. Yeah, I know, I know. That's tough. It really is. It's no wonder many have gone, you know, better opportunities, better weather, and things like that. Listen, um, I hope to, I, I hope all of that works out for you with regards to the claim and that you get full value and... Do you not get a car, a temporary car? Didn't that give you another one in the meantime? Um, in the meantime, I was in an unfortunate position, um, you know, not to, because um, just the joys of, again, backlog with driving tests and stuff. I'm a learner driver, so they don't give out courtesy cars under the insurance. But with saying that, I just need to give a huge shout-out to Kiri's Motors. Well, I was just going to say that Kiri's were giving people loans of cars. Yeah, and uh, they done that for me very when they like, explained the situation. I go, look, I have the backlog of my test. You know, I'm on that waiting list. I go, look, I can't get a courtesy car for my insurance. I go, is there any way that I'm being a learner driver while I'm still waiting for my test? Would you give a car? And they were just amazing. Um, I can't give a shout out enough to the staff in Curie's Middleton and everything they're doing for me and other people in the town. So there's no red tape or anything. You just went in and others did as well and Curie's gave them a car. Yeah, yeah, like obviously what we had to do is just we had to do a temporary transfer under our own insurance and put it onto our insurance while they gave us the car, you know, which is fair enough. But, it, but it, oh, you, but you have to do that. But it was all very straightforward, yeah. no problem. They made it happen. Um, I wonder yeah. how many cars, let's give them a bell. It was Curie's in Middleton. How, how many cars did they give out, do you think? There was, there was plenty, they actually gave out loads um, to the point all of them they were putting people on waiting lists and even then they're trying to do their best for them um, but they really 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 helped out the people of Middleton and so say all of us let's give them a bell and see exactly how many they gave a loan of Cloda listen stay in touch best of luck with your own motor uh, thank and, you so much and look forward to a, a new shiny one hopefully in the weeks ahead alright God. please, please God, God is right you. take care all the best Cloda uh, can I just stay with the, the issues regarding uh, money and compensation and funds that are available for businesses and communities and what have you. Uh, Clotus is a different scenario with cars being totaled and many of them were totaled but they are covered by comprehensive insurance. Deirdre Garvey is the Secretary General of the Irish Red Cross and she should know everything. Certainly I suppose with regards to the Red Cross fund for businesses. Deirdre, good morning. 
Good morning, Neil. Because there's been a lot of change and updating of the amounts of money that could potentially be available, right? Where where do we stand now on this Wednesday morning with what's available and how people go about getting it? Well, let me first of all give people a very important uh, uh, website, but also to express my condolences and my absolute sympathy with the trauma uh, that we heard um, just very clearly expressed by your previous caller. Yeah. But really, when it comes to businesses, when it comes to families, when it comes to communities, it, it, it's really, really stressful. And I just want to acknowledge the pain. Um, we've had volunteers from our court branches out on the Wednesday and Thursday last week and since on call working with the um, Cork County Council task team for Middleton and East Cork. So we have people on the ground who are telling, you know, seeing seeing the reality down there. So I just want to express my acknowledgement of the, 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 the real challenges that are there. Now, on to the details. The website is a really important one. www.redcross.ie okay. On the front page there, you will see Emergency Business Flood Relief Scheme and you will see the details there and I'll explain them to you now and there's a downloadable form. So, we have the original scheme, uh, which still remains, which is uh, you fill out a form, you send them back to us, we we validate your details with the local authority, um, just in terms of you are a real business and that, you know, somebody isn't making the thing up. And uh, that is a process that takes a, a day, two days, you know, depending on whether the form is filled completely correctly or not. And as soon as we get that form, you know, validated by the local authority, we will pay out the initial immediate payment, which he, up until now has been €5,000. Okay, so people can get money uh, within a couple of days of submitting a full, correctly filled in form. So I just want to get that message out. Now, that is the existing scheme that still applies for many people, I, I would say. If they need more than 5000 we then in the Red Cross, we appoint and pay uh, 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 one of a panel of assessors that we have organised, and they will make contact with the business owner and they will go and organise a site visit. The uh, assessor will value the damage and we, the Red Cross, will pay anything above 5,000 up to a ceiling of 20,000 uh, uh, once the assessor's report comes in. And that might take, you know, logistics and meetings and stuff like that. That might take a few days. It might take longer depending on how available the business owner is. Uh, but we do have a panel of assessors ready to go. So that's a standard scheme. First payment to hit 5,000 immediately and up to a maximum of 20,000 uh, after an assessor. Now, what the government have done is put in an enhanced scheme uh, with different limits uh, to take account of the extreme conditions, particularly in Middleton, uh, but, but also in, in isolated other places as well. And in this case, it's exactly the same process. It's exactly the same form. It's just a different box you take on the form. And in this case, the first payment that comes out quickly within a couple of days is €10,000 uh, and then there will be an assessment phase and anything up to a maximum of 100000 based on the assessor's valuation of the damage uh, can come then in the same way mm. after the assessor report. And the difference also is that €10,000 is a lot of money to give out um, from public money. So if, if the assessor finds that the original damage for which they've already received the ten thousand euro, you know, has been sort of overpaid or overclaimed, yes. and that really, you know, you know, somebody was maybe just, you know, exaggerating, maybe not with malintent or anything, but just, you know, it just the facts didn't bear it out, you know. So that that um, 
that will 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 need to be addressed as part of that. Okay. But the okay. aim of that enhanced scheme is to get a substantial amount of money, ten thousand euro, out within a matter of days. Okay, so we've this, already had thirty six uh, people um, inquire about this, and we are busy, and we are getting these forms in, and that's what businesses need to do. Okay, now um, th- th- that means that the Red Cross send assessors into the buildings and the businesses. The businesses don't have to get their own assessor or loss adjuster to get this relief. No, they don't. This is a scheme for people who are uninsured and it's a scheme for small businesses as well. Um, So the insurance industry and companies will, um, I'd say assessors will be a familiar sight wandering around the streets of Middleton. That's brilliant though. It really takes a lot of the worry Um, off people that you guys are doing that on their behalf. You're assessing it. Um, Do you you come up with um, the figure then as to whether it would be the 5 and the 20 or the 10 and the 100 grand? Well, no, no. The, the the business owner will on the form. They will choose scheme A. Is they would have a sense of the cost of the damage because it's now you know they know business people know how things how much things cost. So they'll apply either for scheme A, which is five up to a maximum of twenty. Yes. Um, and then they will also choose. Oh, no, no, no. I know. You know, I know where I'm at at this. You know, I'm going to go for scheme B which the first payment is 10,000 and sliding up to uh, 100K. So it's not 10 or 100, like it's 10 up front. And as the assessor assesses, oh, there's a, there's a total of 65,000 yes. euros worth yeah. of damage yeah. here, yeah. then uh, the second payment will be 55,000. And the, that, those large payments, when would they actually be paid? Is it after the work is completed with you getting receipts or what? Oh no no it's it's it's, it's upfront it's an ex gratia payment upfront based on the valuation and the assessor and how quickly so well, it, it depends on how quickly the business owner puts in the form. Is it correct? You know, um, so once we get that first payment out the door, which we can do within a few days, we then trigger the assessor you know, to make contact with the business owner. And then it comes down to our assessors are available and uh, the business owner, you know, how fast can that appointment be made because the assessors are available. So sometimes a uh, business owner, as soon, as soon as the business owner is available, the assessors will come yeah. and they will uh, write up their report and send it into us again, a matter of, of day, uh, days, you know, because, it's, you know, human nature is like maybe... Maybe the business owner can't appear on a certain day. I, I don't know, but there's, there's no other impediment. Do you know what I mean? It's really just the assessor and the business owner meeting, the assessor doing what assessors need to do. It's a professional occupation, um, similar to the insurance companies. And then uh, it will take them another day or so to write up the report. We will get the report and then we will trigger that next payment. Okay, very straightforward. Yeah, 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 you know? yeah. It's very straightforward. So, yeah. so it's quite simple, the, the issue of receipts. What we do say is because these sums are so significant, you know, we do reserve, the government is going to reserve the right to, to audit retrospectively. So we are asking people to keep all of the receipts um, it's not a payment against receipts, but we do need to uh, have the option of spot checking after the fact because this is public money. So there's a lot of trust uh, involved in this, is there? Yes, I mean this is a, this is an ex gratia humanitarian scheme. This is not a this is a humanitarian scheme. So this is the government has been running this for over ten years now. Uh, we've run this in a number of different places. The most recent prominent one actually had nothing to do with floods. It was Creeslaw. The explosion last last tragic explosion over a year ago mm. in Donegal 
and the government ran a, a scheme. They, they they changed the flooding scheme to an emergency scheme for businesses affected, uh, and it was one created with about two hundred and fifty thousand euro of of these different grants mm. uh, given mm. to businesses. Mm. There, we last we run usually about three to four flooding schemes a year. Okay. Quite often, you know, with standard scheme between five and twenty, quite often you'll see people only applying for the first payment of five thousand. You know. Oh, you so know, but I've not, met businesses down there. One medical business actually had already estimated 94 grand so there are yeah. substantial biz- damages to some of the businesses down there I wouldn't be surprised if you got a lot of people looking for the max and that's why the enhanced scheme is was recognised really clearly and we can hear from our volunteers we have a really vibrant suite of, of Irish Red Cross uh, branches uh, all over Cork uh, they were out on the night with their ambulances and their transport vehicles they were, yeah. uh, they're on call we have um, care packs that were given to the people that were uh, evacuated overnight into the community centre in, in Middleton um, and, and there's a really great team of volunteers down there and I must give them huge credit because they do tremendous work in the communities um, of, of Cork and indeed Middleton and other places affected by this uh, and, and indeed for floods around the country totally. quite often you will find totally. our Red Cross volunteers it's a trusted safe and the rack and sign you know when people roll into a community and I think it gives great succour and support to people Um, and obviously we are always here to help well said well said now thank you for that I do appreciate it Deirdre Garvey I have a copy of the application form here in front of me it is quite straightforward you take either box A or B, depending on the assessment of the damage that you think you may have had. You get it back and then the next thing you'll hear will be from an assessor. And further details can be had on the uh, Red Cross website, www.redcross.ie. Thank you, Deirdre. I do appreciate it. Thanks for taking the time. Text 0868 Back after the break. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818 Red FM. Talking earlier on when I was doing the newspaper stuff about people and their passwords and they're all too often very straightforward and simple ones. It could be, um, you know, uh, the family pet. It could be, um, you know, a, a nickname that people give you. It might be your favourite sports star or maybe television presenter or actor or it could be a cork word like Tanora or Langer. That's on a kind of a, a one-to-one basis and we all, uh, we all too often hear then of all of the texts that you get all of the time telling you that it's revenue looking for details or it's you're being contacted by Amazon because there's a package on the way or Bank of Ireland that you probably never had an account with who are saying that your um, your account has been compromised, click on this link. But if you scale that up vastly then to businesses, there was an astonishing figure there recently that was released by um, a research that was done by MTU. Um, and I'm joined by Hazel Murray, the cybersecurity researcher, was, researcher was behind a lot of that by phone and she joins me. Hazel, good morning. I was just talking about some of the things that you discovered that um, worldwide... 36% of businesses had experienced a breach of more than a million euro. Is that the right figure? Yeah, so um, businesses are yeah, a really big target for attacks because they do have that revenue and they often can't afford to um, not do business for a few days. Um, so they'll also often be targeted by ransomware attacks where someone comes in, locks down all their data and then says, if you don't pay this figure, um, we will destroy your all your data and, and they can't do business again. And they pay? Yeah, often they pay. And actually, it's often smaller companies that are more likely to pay as well. Um, so like if you imagine a small SME might not know how to deal with that and it's easier sometimes to pay than, 
you know, try to figure out how but, to unlock your system. But even when you pay that and possibly then increase your security, it doesn't prevent the same hackers. Sometimes it's individuals or groups, or it could be state-sponsored hackers, and told the Russians are very good at it. They could come back again. Yeah, exactly. And also there's no guarantee that they will actually release your data. Sometimes, like, the hackers aren't good enough to be able to unencrypt the data that they've encrypted. So sometimes they actually aren't capable of even giving back your data. They just take the ransom and then they don't do anything. And you've got no guarantee. It's not like, you know, oh, excuse me, please. <laughs> I, I really need that. I paid, yeah, paid you, deliver yeah. on your promise. Exactly. And like, there's no guarantee that they'll deliver on the promise. So, I mean, and also there's a big issue as well with if there's like a weakness in security, let's say that all, I don't know, all, everyone in some industry is using the same software. Um, then if the attacker gets one company, um, you know, gets in using this weakness, they don't report it, then they um, uh, pay the ransom quietly usually, then all the attacker needs to do is move on to the next company down the road. And we've seen this. It could go through 20 companies before anyone reports it. And usually as soon as it's reported, someone can do something about it. Um, like we often have... Um, like ways of reversing it quite easily but it needs to be reported first and that's actually a big issue Um, So they are very successful then and they do make a substantial amount of money would it be possible to even put a total on the amount of successful hacks in money terms around the world? It's incredibly difficult because a lot of companies aren't willing to reveal when they've been hacked we only know the ones where people where companies have come forward and you can imagine that the reputational damage to a company a lot of companies would rather not reveal publicly mm, mm. even though if if they like if personal data under GDPR like if that's revealed they legally have an obligation to sometimes um yeah it's still not done uh, AI now has become a bigger problem because Artificial intelligence now, I believe, can actually write the code to hack systems. Um, I don't want to get overly complicated about that, but I I did read a comment from um, an individual by the name of Leonard McAuliffe from PricewaterhouseCooper who said that's like putting a loaded gun in the hands of the masses. Hackers can have code written, it's called malware, isn't it, that thinks for itself. Yeah, so... I mean, I guess there's there's a skill involved, I guess. And usually an, a hacker will go for it. Like, they're going to go for the easiest possible thing. Um, and training an AI model to write code for them is probably not the easiest thing for them to do. They could go online, search for malware, and just use existing malware. I suppose, more I, I suppose I'm talking yeah. about where this is going with regards to the ever-changing oh. cyber world that we live in and cyber breaches. But did I, did I also hear somewhere, read somewhere recently, that even if you've got a really good protection system, they can still get at you through a back door, through a client of yours who's in contact with you, or a client of yours who who transfers money to you, things like that. They can get in anyway. Yeah, so um, this is actually what's called, like, you know, securing your supply chain. Because if you're um, working with another company and they're vulnerable, then you could 
also be vulnerable. Um, and actually, there's new guidelines coming down, um, NIST 2 guidelines, which basically means that you need to secure not only yourself, but everyone who you who is in your supply chain. So everyone that's providing you with goods or services must also be secure in order to guarantee that you are secure. And it's bound to just get worse though, isn't it? Or is it a case that, I mean, we saw with the HSE and the serious hack there, I think there was actually, wasn't there, wasn't there a problem with MTU at one stage? Was it earlier this year? Uh, you guys had to, had to react quite rapidly to some threat? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it is a case of if a dedicated attacker wants to get in, it is going to be incredibly difficult for you to secure every single aspect of your system. So I guess for most places, it's the hope that they aren't targeted. And if they are, they've got the minimum levels of security in place. Well, maximum levels of security, I suppose, right? Yeah, but it's also about just not being the low-hanging fruit. <laughs> so you, you want to be stronger than the person next to you nearly, just to make sure that um, you at least... And, and actually having some minimum level of security is something that a lot of companies still don't have. Imagine, it, imagine if the entire world's banking system got literally hacked. Would that ultimately wipe out people's savings? Yeah, um, I mean, any data that's digital can just be deleted. Um, now, the hope is that it's secured somewhat better and hopefully it's somewhat distributed so that getting into one bank won't get you into every bank. Um, but yeah, no, that's a, it's, re, it, it's kind of hard sometimes to yeah, emphasize how important security and is. Where this is going. But, yeah. Okay, food for thought. Thanks so much, Hazel. Wish you had more money, but pleasure talking to you. That's Hazel Murray from uh, MTU on the ever-changing world of uh, hacking, cyber, cyber security, third-party breaches, ransomware, and the compromising of businesses, even through uh, emails, which can get in a back door as well. Now, Show. Red FM. Uh, I was contacted on my own Instagram page by uh, the surgeon Noonan um, people at uh, UCC uh, and um, they are doing a big, they're a big charity running voluntarily. They're fourth year medical students from UCC. Each year their goal, uh, particularly at this time of the year, is to, earn, is to raise €150,000. It goes directly towards uh, rural hospitals in sub-Saharan Africa and in the summer then 40 students travel to hospitals to help in Kenya and Tanzania, Malawi and Ghana and Zambia and they bring an awful lot of much needed medical supplies with them as well as financial aid so it's fabulous the work that they do uh, with the Surgeon uh, Noonan uh, collection this jazz festival is an important time for them so they'll be out and about over the jazz weekend with their buckets wearing their famous blue Surgeon Noonan t-shirts and their white medical lab coats you'll spot them they'll be easily spotted across the city over the jazz weekend so they're asking if you can afford it all to give what you can it would be very much appreciated um, and this event actually at the jazz weekend accounts for about 20% of their annual revenue uh, so watch out for them Surgeon Noonan a charity from UCC raising much-earned uh, funding this jazz weekend and give what you can. Um, I know that the weekend, of course, we're going to have uh, a lot of pubs open and there'll be bar extensions and there'll be jazz in many of them. But John says at any other time of the year, though, it's an interesting email because I have noticed it myself. He says, I'm wondering if people have any comments regarding the general changing in closing times in pubs. He says, three or four times in the last few weeks, I've experienced pubs who've just decided to close at half past nine or perhaps ten o'clock or half past ten, kind of like when it suited them. I like to go out around 9.30pm for a few pints, four or five, 
uh, once or twice a week. I work weekends, so I tend to go out midweek. I find now that the pubs just close if there aren't many people there. Uh, Last night, and this text is a few days old, but it's certainly a midweek text, 10.15, the pub I was in said, last call, you can have one more, but that's it. I arrived in there 20 minutes earlier. There was me and two more people in the pub. It started to turn me off going to the pub midweek when they just decide to close when it suits them. I find this is a bit unfair for the likes of me who enjoy the pub when it isn't heaving with people on a quieter night. Imagine if the airlines decided to cancel a flight because it wasn't full. They do, incidentally. Or bus Aaron didn't run a bus because it wasn't full. I I thought closing times were set, Neil, and they just can't decide to close when it suits them. Interested to know if your listeners have experienced this and if they, like me, find it annoying. The publicans are complaining that their business is suffering because of a lack of customers. The pub I was in was charging €6 for a pint of Guinness, but they told me I can only have two because they were closing. (laughs) I won't be going back there again. But that means I have to travel further. So be it. Uh, I won't give them my business again when they throw me out after two pints when I was going to have four, perhaps five. Their loss. I'd be interested to hear what your listeners think or have they experienced this? Kind regards, John. I also would like to know what people think of that and whether they've experienced it, John. So thank you for the email. Text 86 I, I do know that since COVID, everything has changed. And the whole work-life balance thing has changed as well. And businesses are looking differently as to... I'm just thinking out loud here as to how they actually do business. So COVID is a lot for people redressing, readdressing everything in their lives. But the businesses are doing that as well. And I have been, you know, obviously I'm out and about. I'm not a hermit. I'm certainly driving about quite a lot or cycling. But at night, I've come I've come across pubs that, I mean, I've, I've seen, for instance, a typical example of that would be uh, noticed recently Paddy the Farmers uh, of a night around about 10 o'clock was closed. So I'm assuming they're one of the ones that decided, look, we're just going to change our opening and our closing hours. Um, I've noticed other pubs then um, that don't open at all on a Monday or a Tuesday or maybe even a Wednesday and they just open the rest of the week and they do their business at the weekend. So I suppose, what, would, it, would it make sense for a pub? Do they have a jury responsibility to two or three customers, you know, to stay open until half past 11? If, say, for instance, they're never going to have any more than two or three customers for two or three hours leading up to half past 11. Um, so it is certainly something that is happening. And I think there are people out there listening to this will agree with me that it has changed in that regard. Sadly, though, for the likes of John, I suppose you need to find a pub that's busy enough even during the week. Your Mondays and your Tuesdays and Wednesdays as they are very, very quiet in suburban pubs. But anyway, uh, get in touch, especially you know if you've experienced it, but also if you're a publican, because I'd love to know uh, the reasoning behind it. I'm just kind of thinking out loud myself. So if you're a publican, get involved in that conversation. Uh, text 0868104106. And just one final other piece of research. I just ran out of time there when I was chatting with regards to people being hacked. I was chatting on the air there just before 10 with um, Dr. Hazel Murray from MTU. Remember I was talking about um, you know, people who use Langer or Cork City or Shandon Bells or Tanora or Roy Keane as their passwords. Very easily hackable. And I'll tell you why. A lot of the time people, because you have to have a word or a combination of words and numbers. So I bet you there's people out there whose password is Tanora123456. Because an awful lot of people with the numbers just use one, two, three, four, five, six. But there are other ones then that are very common and very easily hackable by cyber criminals. Say, for instance, Barry's Tea is one of them. Bacon and Cabbage is another. 
believe it or not, Jesus, Mary and Joseph, one, two, three, four, five, six, is a used password, apparently. So is Father Ted, Riverdance, things like that. Um, and if you go into Have I Been Pwned, they list 613 million passwords from hacked accounts. See where I'm going with this? The amount of money that actually can be made by hackers as they go about their deadly deeds. So I suppose it's a case of really upping your game with regards to passwords because um, the hackers, um, they're on to all of them. They're on to the simpler ones. And they can even regionalize passwords as, as to you know what would be popular in Ireland as a password. They do their Father Ted's and they do their Tanoras and stuff like that. And before you know it, you're in trouble. Anyway, text 0868104106. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818104106. Cork's Red FM. Interesting. I'll talk to Emily in just one second. Uh, we've been dealing with the uh, uh, Ashling Murphy's murder trial that's uh, going on at the moment. Interesting text from a dad of three teenage girls. He says, I'm afraid of my life for them being out alone or in the city centre, out of sight and away from my own personal care. I have three teenage girls and not being sensationalist or dare I say uh, racist but um, you know if you look at he's actually not talking about the Ashley Murphy trial but just generally our, our courts and the situation regarding our courts and the amount of people who aren't uh, Irish nationals per capita it's much more it seems than any other Irish men which actually isn't true um, you know it's just not true uh, you would have to really drill into the statistics I mean Maybe if you worked it out per, um, as you're as you're saying, per capita, you might see um, that the, the figures are kind of maybe skewed in that regard for murder, rape, and assault cases and what have you. But general criminality, because of the fact that there are more Irish people than people who would have come to Ireland, you'll find that you know Irish crime would be much much higher. Uh, but anyway, that's for another day. He says this is not a coincidence. We have uh, far too many people coming into Ireland unvetted. Uh, or unchecked. Um, the case involving uh, a ma- that man that you spoke about on air, originally from Romania, who posed as a taxi driver, is a case in point. Didn't he have a criminal past? Didn't he do time for a similar offence in Spain? Was welcomed into this country with open arms. Shame on the government of Ireland. Thank you for that. Um, when you suggested to Michal Martin that we should um, work with regards to restrictions on our borders, he asked you if you have any compassion. It's him that doesn't have any compassion for the safety of our children, our mothers, our sisters and our brothers. Um, uh, the, the point there was that obviously clearly you couldn't close the Irish border because nobody would be able to come in and out uh, what I was talking about was tightening up controls at our borders that uh, would be closed to people who didn't actually have proper documentation uh, to come into the country. Uh, I'm not talking about, say, with regards to people fly- fleeing war in Ukraine. They may have just had the clothes on their back in many cases. But others who are coming in here under international protection orders who are getting on, pl- on planes with documentation but arriving in Dublin Airport without it. Text 0868104106. Emily, good morning. Good morning. Firstly, thank you for holding. I appreciate that. I'm trying to wade through texts and emails as well. But I was reading in the examiner this morning that um, if we look at Beechwood Drive in Middleton, that residents, or at least some of them, feel as if they've been devastated and forgotten about. Is yes. is, is that the case in your family, say, with regards to, your, to yourself and your mam, Jean? Well, with regards to forgotten, with neighbours, no. No, neighbours have been brilliant. But for them, I wouldn't have been able to clear out her home so they were amazing um, trying to get a hold of the council to see if they'll come down and assess it I'm still waiting to hear anything so we'll just wait on that 
think for the next step I, I'm not too sure Is it a council house? Yes And you pay rent as a tenant? She does Yes, they're, they're, they're her landlords So your mum's yes. 80 Was everything literally wiped out apart from everything. one cherished item? One chair We managed to get her new chair up on the couch when we got in first We got a call to come over that water was um, getting high so by the time we got over after 20 minutes the, the water was in, it was up to the bottom stairs so my husband put the chair on the couch and we went up and waited so, and then they came and they, they took her out in the dinghy the water was so high She came out in a little inflatable boat She did Was she very, very, very frightened? She, I don't think she had time to think of it to be honest, so we tried to. Yes. They were brilliant. Who took her out? They were. They were just kind of joking and you know helping. And she was. She was okay. I don't think it was until after she got out she realised what had happened. So did the water level continue to rise? It did. It did. So we just had to send send up all send bag all the doors front and back and leave and pray that it wouldn't be as bad. But it was so. So you went back okay. in then when you had a chance to do. Your mum's not yeah. back in the house, no. No, no, no. My my mum is staying with us. Okay. So. Okay. And she's probably asking in. you about her home and her possessions. She she is, and we're 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 not sure. She knows. I've told her everything is gone, but I haven't shown her. She she doesn't need to see that. You know, there's no point. No need upset her. She doesn't need any more upset. So, yeah, so we just wait and see. So everything is, her kitchen cupboards, all her units are gone. Tables and chairs, couches, floors, all had to go. Yeah, and these are sentimental as well as everything else, aren't yeah, they, a lot of those? When you go through it, you don't realise it. You don't realise what sentimental things you have. But look, hmm. I we can get her back into her home. I know, I know. See how so upsetting it still is for people who've gone through this? It is. I mean, she's not living in it, but there's people living in it. And I don't know how they're doing it. Literally wiped out apart from her cherished armchair, yeah. Yes. You know, we can replace an armchair, you know. That's okay. But it's just to get her back in and be comfortable in her home again and hope to God that it never happens again for the people of this whole town. Heard a beautiful story actually regarding uh, one of your neighbours. Um, I think it was Marion Buckley. Uh, she had a very, very, very precious keepsake, the most precious of them all. It was the ashes of her late husband. Are you aware of that story? It, Where it, it was Margaret Crone's husband. Ma- Margaret Crone, yes. okay. And yes. it was it was Marion Buckley's grandson. Grandson, yes. Tell me what he tell and, me what he did. He went. He went. He waved it through the water. And he went back in and he, he got them. He got her. the ashes. He got the ashes for her. That's all, that's all she wanted, which you can quite understand, you know. What a selfless effort, though. Absolutely. There's been amazing people over there and, and every, like the young people of the estate were, were brilliant. They really were. And for me, for my neighbours, my man's neighbours, should I say, and, and mine previously, God sense. They were absolutely amazing. It's a local they, community. They were not only, but our, my own mum's neighbour, they were they were trying to stop water out their own own house coming in, and they still went around to 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 my mum's home, and anyone else that needed help, you know, they really did. 
and they're still doing it. Will you be able to rebuild and put it all around your mum again? Do you think? I hope so. That's that's the plan. We have to. We have. I have to for her because she loves her home. You know. Have you been on to the Department of Social Welfare and called the helpline yes. number, the 0818? Um, no, I haven't. They have called. I, I happened to meet them uh, recently and they gave me advice of what to do and I'm actually going back over again to to finish out her forms for her. So hopefully that will start soon. But it's to get the house dry now and to get it safe and clean that it's not contaminated, that... Is it safe for her health uh, to go back in? Is, is for everyone over there? You, you haven't know? put a value on the on the damage yet, have you? No, yeah. no, yeah. no. I just sat down last night to write out her contents and try to think of there's stuff that never you can never replace. I know, I know. Everything, mm. everything else can be. So but I often, uh, often wonder about that, like with regards to say Middleton or your own estate, say for instance in 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 Beechwood Drive. You'd live in fear now every time you hear heavy rain again, won't you? Like, I mean, well, heavy rain? Absolutely. Even the following night started to rain and all we were there, please God, don't, don't, don't happen again. I wonder, will that always be with you next time there's a torrential oh, downpour? I'd say so. I'd say for the people living over there, yeah. Because it, it was so high, there was stuff people never saw. There, there was a wall behind people's houses that the water was so high. You, you wouldn't believe it until you see the pictures. Scary. Scary is right. Well, listen. Best of luck to you in the in the uh, refurb and putting everything right for Thanks your ma'am, Emily. Thanks for taking the call. Thanks for calling. Thank you. Bye bye. Wake bye. up, everybody. Bye. Look at the ordnance survey maps, even going back to the eighteen hundreds, and they were they were th- even talking back then areas liable to flooding. I get it. It's simple. Don't build on floodplains. Um, the council are responsible. I tell you something, you can go up high and you'll find problems. Um, I can tell you that, like Shannon Lawn and Mayfield. Katrina, good morning. Hi, good morning, Neil. How are you? What, what, Mayfield, I'd be darned. What happened? So Wednesday uh, morning, our back has a constant issue of flooding, Neil. So it came through into the sitting room and then the hall and the kitchen. It shattered all my kitchen units soft, it's all soft, my couch is destroyed. Well that's your units are all just going to buckle and rot like they got to go. Yes, Yes, exactly but they're saying that I'm not entitled to a kitchen and they gave me an exceptional needs payment to go in and get new flooring. Now Neil that's fine, I have no problem doing that but this is my fourth time putting down flooring from the ongoing issue it's going on nine years, I'm living in the home it's just getting too upsetting now. My neighbours are dealing with it about 30 years. You can ask any one of them. It's going on since 1979. They keep coming out, draining it, and that's all we get. And okay. humidifying the house. Okay, okay. But but that, because you're a tenant of Cork City Council? I am indeed, yeah. Okay, yeah. okay. so they bring in the humidifiers for you every time this happens? Yes, exactly. And the smell, Neil, is not great for the kids. There's condensation all over the house. So I took it upon myself to get a structure engineering. Um, I paid privately for him and he reckons the house is unlivable. It's very high in moisture in the walls. Um, and my housing officer was actually there while he was there and he explained it all to him. And he just didn't listen. He doesn't care. 
basically. Uh, look, we gave her what we need to give her. She can get the new floor in, but basically I'm not I'm not to be housed. Okay, but there's no point, you had beautiful parquet flooring, because I saw the videos of it destroyed, yeah. but there's no point putting that back down again. You need tiles. That's my point exactly, Neil. There's no point. It's, and they're trying to put it down to a freak accident, okay? It's not a freak accident. You can ask any of my neighbours. It's not a freak accident. It's an ongoing issue. I'm there nine years and it's happening all the time. This is the worst it's ever been and it's just tipped me over the edge. I have four sons. I just cannot deal with it no more. No matter what I put into the house, it gets destroyed. I'm just, I'm up to, I, I, this is one of many issues. And and um, is it the same for other neighbours in, in Shannon Lawn? Oh yes, yes, yes. They're all they're they're all they're all so upset now and everything. They don't know where to turn to. They got they got the exceptional needs payment. But as one of my neighbours are there thirty to forty years now, Neil, and she's just she's she's sick of it. She said every time they give her the money, she gets the floors, and it's the same issue again. And Neil, this year the weather is so bad; it's only beginning. You and know? tell me, so, they did rehouse you though temporarily, did they? They did. They put, They had to, Neil. They had to. With the, there was an awful smell. It's it's disgusting. But they put. Is us it into sewage? Do you smelling? Yes. Yes. Okay. Exactly. Okay. Yes. All right. Now okay. they put Dangerous. us in for two bedroom apartment in the city centre, Neil. Uh, there's one single bed for my boys. I had to get camp beds off my sister-in-law. They're sleeping really rough now, and it's just so upsetting to see as a mother. You know what I mean? You're so you're in a um, two-bed upstairs apartment with four yeah. kids from one to thirteen. And they're on yes. camp beds because five into two bedrooms doesn't really go. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Now, I'm still waiting, Neil, on my engineer's report. As you know, they can take like five to seven days. Um, I have to meet them now this morning. But they reckon like there was no need for an engineer or anything like that. And they're waiting on the report too. So I don't know what they want to meet me for this morning. I hope that they have their own engineer for the just to look at the house. But... They'd be very slow to move the residents out of Shannon Lawn, though. I mean, they'll do, I imagine, everything they can not to, won't they? Exactly, exactly. And my kids suffer with their chest. Like, you've seen it yourself, Neil. The window, did you see the crack in the window? I did. No, it's it's like something I was expecting to see in Middleton, but here it is in Mayfield, yeah. Exactly. And I got on to them about that window in my, my boys' room, and they came out and they put that film thing on the crack and said, Oh, yeah, this is urgent. You need double glaze because we're on the North Ring Road, Neil, so you can hear all the traffic. Oh, they're all you know? smashed and cracked and everything. Yeah, yeah. How and, did that and, happen? Um, it just shattered because the handle came off, and they told me I had to replace the handles myself. We closed in the window and it just shattered down. I got them out a year ago and they looked at it and they said it's urgent. You, your, I was entitled to double glaze. Um, and there's a gap as well, so the kids are constantly sick because the room is freezing. It's damp there because as well. I see cracked ceilings and issues in the exactly. corners. That's actually in my hall, Neil. That's the shower. It was uh, it leaked, so I got onto them and they put in a bat to stop the leak, but never fixed anything in the hall and it's still leaking. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, both sides of the River Lee, we have problems with regards to Cork City Council as tenants. How long do you think you'll be left where you are before you can go back in to the home? Oh, they're telling me it's ready to go back in, but I'm, I'm standing firmly, I'm not going back in because the smell is awful. It's inhumane. You so have you go gone back, back up now with the dehumidifiers, go- the dehumidifiers going and it still smells of sewage? Yes, exactly. It still smells of sewage and they're telling me it's livable. And my, my structure engineer said it isn't. It isn't at all unless all those repairs are done. But Neil, the foundation's cracking and everything I got told. So you know what? They're not going to do nothing. 
like and I'm just I'm at a loss they have me backed into a corner and I don't know what to do and I yeah, work it yeah, you know very very frustrating let me know what happens today will you I will indeed Neil. All right, Katrina, thanks for now. Oh, the text, text 0868104106. Please, please, with regards to this morning, let people know that winter is coming. It's getting darker. When I'm walking to and from work, school or anyone else, please tell people to stop wearing dark clothing. When it's raining heavily, it's very hard to see people dressed in black. Don't be so stupid. Wear high-vis or bright jackets. I see it all too often, Mark, my friend, particularly people on bikes. I'm seeing it more so in the morning where it's very, very dark. You might see somebody on a little electric scooter um, with absolutely no lights, no protection, all in black, and a lot of the time with headphones on. Talk about being aware of traffic around you in those situations. Text 0868104106. Back after the break. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818104106. Red FM. Okay, back to uh, earlier on this morning, a bit of a rant with regards to people dressing up for Halloween that has absolutely nothing to do with the actual tradition itself and the costumes that they wear. Um, Why would Barbie be a costume that somebody would go out at Halloween for or indeed uh, something from um, uh, any kind of character in a movie? Went through a lot of them this morning. I've been saying it for years. It's Halloween. It should be scary costumes, not just dressing up as a princess. Um, I'm ready for the kids at Halloween, Neil. Brussels sprouts dipped in chocolate. Really, though? I mean, really? That actually sounds quite tasty. Uh, In work, listening, but I completely agree about Halloween costumes. I refuse to let my kids dress up unless it has something to do with Halloween, like skeletons or witches or even Dracula. This year, mine are going as vampires with face paint, blood, teeth, the works. Forget about your ninjas and your princesses. That wrecks my head as well. And then more texts, including photographs. I agree, my two are 17 and 21. This is them back in primary school, and they are really, really scary. Very, very scary with typical Halloween-type costumes and wigs. My son is autistic and hates scary costumes. I could never get him into a scary costume ever or or get him to have his face painted. He loves Marvel, and this year he's going to be Black Panther. He's been Thor and he's been Spider-Man. My five-year-old daughter wants to be Elsa this year. My older two always dressed in scary costumes. Each to their own, I suppose. You'll be very unhappy with what I was saying earlier on this morning. We shouldn't be having... Um, princesses or Spider-Man costumes but I suppose there can be always the exceptional read, reason, need particularly if a child has special needs a text says it was down in Middleton yesterday walking through the streets the big clean up is still going on with skips being filled but it's lovely to see the shops who opened and to feel the spirit of all of the people living there but the cost to families and businesses must be colossal and I just hope for all those affected that the government has got the whole issue of financial assistance and payments right. It just seems so slow for the people in Middleton and they need to speed it up. I'm listening to what is actually being paid for by the Red Cross and it's a long way from the 100,000 that the government said would be paid. Too much red tape and not having your own assessor. Uh, The government will make the payments lower, you can be sure of it. If you can get one payment, will that eliminate you from claiming further amounts? McCarthy Insurance has said recently that the damage to homes and businesses because of flooding is well over a hundred grand. So will this humanitarian scheme fall short of what is needed? I hope not. 
We'll have to wait and see, says Jerry. Thank you for that. We will have to wait and see. And you're saying, what's being paid out from the Red Cross? It's, it's our money. It's ultimately taxpayers' money, or indeed money that was collected for the Red Cross by uh, charity contributions and what have you. So ultimately, you know, what, what, what is being shared is owned by Irish citizens and people living in this country in the first place. But I guess somebody has to manage the funds. But I know I spoke a lot about earlier this morning. I hope it's very simple now with regards to the different stages for, say, for instance, uh, businesses. But the other side of the coin is like the conversations that have been happening with, with family homes. And this story is bound to run and run. There is, of course, very important phone numbers that are available with regards to people in homes. The Community Welfare Service is an 0818 number 607080. If you're confused at all and you have damage at home, 0818 607080. I did get contacted this morning by Councillor uh, Paddy Deneen and there is a Middleton connection with Paddy. He joins me by phone. Paddy, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Uh, so that phone number, and that's what you were reminding me of in your, in your in your email. The supports can be accessed. This would be clothing or food or finances. Uh, quick payments on the O eight one eight number. Correct. The O eight one eight sixty seventy eighty is for the uh, social department of social protection, and it's in regard to the humanitarian assistance scheme, which has been um, which has been launched for the for the post disaster. In, in Cork and surrounding areas. Yeah, and it isn't and exclusive to Middleton or anything. I understand that. It could be Glanmire. No, no, sorry. Yeah, yeah. just five counties actually covered by this, I think, that, yeah. that were affected. Yeah. yeah. How come How come you're down in Middleton, incidentally? Um, my connection with Middleton is, is through my, my wife, Sanya, who, who is the manager of Common Sports on the main streets. And um, they were flooded over, obviously. And so I was down there with assisting them with the, with the clean-up and get clear out of, of the stores. So would that all be that would be all ground floor stock, would it? All ground floor, yes. Okay. Did any of it survive? Um, some did survive. The like a store, the stores are upstairs, but there's there's another store downstairs, footwear, etc., etc. But the the whole shop floor was destroyed. Electrics, everything, computers, tills, everything, you know. And stock was all thrown in a skip. And stock, yeah. Into the skip. Yes, yeah, because yeah, it came in so quick. Apparently, my wife was there when it happened. She said that, that it came in the gate. She saw it coming in the door, and there was nothing they could do. Okay, okay. But within five minutes, they were up to their up to their knees in water. Yeah. So they'll be going through the different stages for businesses: uh, option A or option B. You know, the one or two that the Red Cross talk about. Yes. Um, okay. Yes. But could we just could yeah. we maybe? I'm sorry to hear about that. That's very sad, and I hope that they get to back on their feet. Um, what about what about homes though? What kind of payments do you think yeah. will be available through Department of Social Welfare Protection? Yeah, well, the humanitarian assistance scheme is what it basically comes. It comes in three stages, and it can cover anything up to for for a single person fifty thousand euro, the maximum of fifty thousand euro. For a couple, ninety thousand euro, and for a couple with dependent children, fifteen thousand euro per child, depending depending on the circumstances, obviously. But the, it's open now, and I think it's up now for the first stage. And the first stage basically covers the uh, it, it's financial support for food, clothing, and that type of stuff. The second stage is for the white goods, bedding, furniture, and the third stage then is the is the is the aftermath, then the plastering, flooring, electrical, painting, all this of, of the of the household residence. It's all available, and um, it should the people should if they don't have insurance should apply for this. And that could be upwards of 90,000 in funding for a couple. 
per couple, per house. Okay. It's mean te- means tested though, is it? It's mean tested, but it depends on the income coming into the house, but it is, it is scaled per the income. So if there's extra coming in, then it, we will get a little bit less, but there's still, there's still financial aid. Available okay, so it's upwards of 50 per person, 90 per couple. And yes. why, why do they include 15,000 per child? Well, 15,000 per, per dependent child then. Well, I'm not sure. That, I, I presume for, for bedding and for whatever it is that they may have I don't know, replacement of electrical goods, computers, etc. perhaps, you know. Okay, and um, when does, I mean, that's a substantial amount. Is it, It's paid in different stages, is it? It's paid over different stages, yes. And is it after the work is done with the, do you have to pay up first and get it back? No, I, I, no, it, you'll just be, you'll be assessed as prior income regarding damages and, and you'll get, and you'll be, you'll be provided with the funding then. Okay, and do you have to prove what you spend the money on or anything like that? Yes, I would say, I, I'm not as sure of the actual details, but I, I would presume, yes, there would have to be some accountability there with regards to the spend. Okay, because it'd be left wide open then. I'm not saying that many exactly. people would, but you'd be sure somebody would. Well, there would. There, there would be. There would be. Yeah. And you have to, yeah. But, Neil, can I also just raise something else there that I think is very important? You did touch it this morning. It's regarding um, individuals' cars. Um, like my own, my own wife's car was was, was destroyed in in the flooding, but many cars there, and fortunately enough, she's covered with comprehensive insurance. But many there have been third party fire and yeah, yeah. and like, and many will also will lose their no claims bonus. So in a, in a year or two years, they will it, they will be financially hit with this. And I, I think something should be, there should be some support regarding car owners and the cars that were lost also. And, um, so, it, it, so this, none of these funds apply to people who have third-party fire and theft whose cars got totaled in the flood. I, I well, I don't believe their insurance will cover them. No, it's them not. It doesn't cover cars because yeah. it doesn't cover anything in the outdoor. I don't think it does paths or gardens or anything like that. I think it's the yeah, house. So I would, yeah. So I would call on, on the ministers to to look into this and to see can they give provide some support to to those who do not have the, the proper insurance for their cars to, to get some sort of support to get them back on the road, you know. Okay. Are you going back in now? I think you are. Yeah. I'm going back down there now, yeah. Back down there. I'm way. Are you stopping off for a bit of food for the volunteers and the staff, I'm told? Yeah, I just got the bread rolls there and super value. <laughs> so, what are you going to put inside the bread roll, my man? Oh, sausages and pudding. <laughs> a sausages and pudding sanger? Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Keep it local. I'll let you get on. Cheers. Thanks, buddy. Take care. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. By text on different topics of conversation throughout the course of the morning Um, and indeed over the past couple of mornings. Remember, we were talking about uh, baked beans yesterday and the ability of um, people to be able to even make beans on toast. Apparently, not. There are those that need instructions. Uh, Stick the beans in the oven along with the dinner you'll have the best beans ever I find that an extraordinary text how could that be if you put beans into the oven will they not just dry out and become one baked in clogged mess where you won't be able to get them off the pot or the tray I'm not sure if it deserves its own separate subject Neil but it would be extremely helpful for young people to understand other things in school besides cooking as you've said or learning to drive like finances budgeting shopping around for utilities you know as in energy suppliers the importance of avoiding getting into debt also what is very important is to learn about personal tax returns and entitlements medical tax relief pensions 
working from home allowances. All of this can be taught in school. I know it's not exciting, but people can learn from this and they can use it in life later. Morning, Neil. Insurance companies refusing to cover people in flood areas is like them telling you that they won't cover your car insurance if you drive on a particular road because that road is more prone to accidents. Like, we'll cover you, but not, say, for instance, on the Mallow Road. The pictures coming out of Middleton of the floods are not a million miles from those happening in the news in Asia, Africa or elsewhere. When that happens, the government sends millions in aid to those countries without asking for any means testing. Why does our government ask for means testing? Why don't they do the same for their own? So keep those coming. Text 0868104106. Back after the break. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818104106. Cork's Red FM. Lots and lots of people, of course, came to help. Swan Beds will contribute, Neil, a 1,500 euro for the Middleton Hub, which they can distribute to where they think is best. Could you imagine that? 1,500 euro from Swan Beds to go to the Middleton Hub. I was down in the Hub on Monday, and they will be be able to use that money. Thank you so much to Swan Beds, a great car company. Incidentally, I'm also on a promise on Swan Beds with regards to a bed and mattress. Remember we were talking about snoring on the air. I had to move away from that very rapidly. I don't know, some other story came up, but I do want to go back to snoring again because I know I have other calls and some help for people. But thank you to Swan Beds for that contribution also. You should also give a shout out to the Middleton Community Welfare Officers, Sheila Boland and Sarah, who are visiting houses in estates all weekend, many of them washed out, says Dennis, going above and beyond the call of duty. So thank you for that. Keep those texts coming. Text 0868104106. I'll come back to that and lots more. I'm going to go back to the phone lines, though. I know I have a lot on again this morning. Tom, good morning. Actually, let me get my phone lines right here and get them sorted out. Um, I think he's dropped. We were chatting there about uh, accidents on our roads and distractions. And I was talking about the text earlier on from somebody who was saying um, that the, all too often on these dark mornings, you see people either walking or on scooters uh, or cycling or indeed on little electric scooters with no lights on, um, totally dressed in black or dark colours and you would never, ever, ever see them. Uh, Tom was saying by text, you were talking about accidents earlier on and no doubt the lads on the scooters aren't wearing enough reflective clothing for sure. But he wanted to talk more about the amount of people driving who, who seem to be totally distracted as they're driving. So hopefully I can get a phone line from now. Tom, good morning. When you, when, morning, you, when you say distracted while they're driving, can you see what's distracting them? Oh, certainly, certainly. Um, quite, I, I, I'll give you two examples. One was just coming down the south link out towards Man Point and... Uh, there was this lady on my right hand side and she leaned her forward to adjust some type of a screen up, touch some type of a screen that she has in her car. Now up by Wilton last what week, was the what but what was the screen? Was it a, a Garmin or a GPS map or, or was it a mobile phone or was she watching a video or what? It looked like she was watching a video. But definitely someone who was watching a video was about two weeks ago up by Wilton. And um, this lady in front of me was going up to Wilton Shopping Centre. And this lady on my right-hand side again was actually quite clear that was a video. And she was mounted on her dashboard. Right, and you, you like yeah. as, as in w- watching what we would say, just to sum it up, as television show. 
Well, whatever she was doing, whatever she was doing, it's obviously taking our attention away from what she should be doing. 100%. It's looking totally. at the road. Totally. Totally. You know, it doesn't matter whether it's a GPS or whatever it is. Your voice orientated anyway. You don't have to look at ease. Right? But, um, but are there many people watching episodes of their favourite soap or television show or watching YouTube videos as they're driving? I wonder. Most certainly. Most certainly. Because not only are they going to but kill themselves, but they're going to kill our loved ones. Yes, exactly. And there's a simple way of cutting down on these accidents. They ban these things. But sure, it, would be, it would be illegal. I mean, it's illegal anyway. It's a it's a traffic offence. Um, so, like, you can't really ban these things. People literally would just bring them in and put them into the car. But if stopped by the guards, they're in big trouble anyway. Well, they're not they're, they're not in trouble for having one in their car. They might be in trouble if they were stopped for watching something when they're in their car. Yeah, you, the my, yeah, you can't ban them though. Yeah. Why can't you? Because they could be, because it's like just bringing, like for instance, it's like bringing your phone into your car, right? Ban your ban the phones in the car. But you can't do that. Band we have to be we have to be contactable. I mean, you shouldn't be texting or answering it unless it's no, Bluetooth. Why, why, no, why why do you have to be contactable? Well, because what a lot of people you? work for a living, and their offices, their cars, they go from A to B. They need to be contactable for work. Uh, parents need to be able to contact children, each other. I mean, you, you couldn't do that. Like it's you know, like you should be able to make a I phone to, call with Bluetooth. So my my point is, I could bring my phone to my car. I could attach it to a cradle that sticks onto my windscreen or onto my dash, and I could watch um, sport or a soccer match or tennis or a TV show as I'm driving along. That's the dangerous thing. It's not it's not dangerous to take a, a phone call safely, but it is dangerous to watch moving pictures. Well, I think, um, personally, I think it is dangerous to watch, uh, to take a phone call because they're taking your attention away from the road. I wouldn't take a phone call when I'm in my car driving. Oh, I'd have I no problem at all with Bluetooth, none whatsoever. I wouldn't be having long 15 or 20 minute chats. But if I have Bluetooth I in the. Have, I, I, wouldn't have a, I wouldn't have a 30 second chat. My phone is never answered when I'm in my car. I refuse to get a hands free. I just won't have one in my car. I oh, know, but here's an interesting text that's come on or come in already. If you're if you follow that logic, what's the difference between a Bluetooth phone call and chatting with the passenger in the passenger seat? Isn't that distracting? Um, I don't think so. No, for the simple reason you can focus on the road ahead okay. and speak to someone. No, but I, I mean, I you can don't. take a phone call on my Bluetooth and still watch the road, but you're saying I'm not concentrating enough then, is it? I don't believe you okay. are. No, I no don't but I mean, are. but if you have people using their phones and they've got them attached to cradles and they're watching TikTok videos and they're scrolling through videos on TikTok and laughing and joking or watching TV but shows, then the world's gone that's mad. Going that's, that's what's going on now at the moment. That's what's going on now at the moment. I'm just going on hold, still. You see, you have a... You, you, there's no chance you'll be caught doing anything like that in this oh, You'll be caught if a cop car comes up behind you. Who, who's caught? Who's caught me? Oh, but sure, they're catching people all the time on their phones. 
their phones held up to their ear. So over, so over, so over But just, just listen now. Just listen now for one second, and I'll give an idea your chance of being caught this one day. For the whole, for all the summer months, I'd leave home at three o'clock in the morning, four o'clock in the morning, and drive to the whole o'clock county into Kerry and through a good chunk of Kerry without seeing a road face facing a... But that's at four and five in the morning. Yes. Yes. You you wouldn't really be expecting to see a whole lot of squad cars out at four in the morning. When, what time, what time would you have the heroines of drug drug or drunk driving would you think uh, I think it's I don't think it's three and four in the morning I don't think it is I think it's in the evenings and stuff like that or maybe a little bit more in the morning after problems and okay, things. okay ho- hold on to those thoughts if you want Tom I'm happy to come back and pick it up and get other people's thoughts on a text 0868104106 back after 11 now the Neil Prenderville show Red FM Oh, listen, also, uh, before quitting time today, if you're a fan of the ballet, uh, Cork City Ballet have given me tickets to give away for its full-scale production of Tchaikovsky's Swan Lake, and it runs at the Opera House from the 2nd to the 4th of November. So if you're a fan, then make sure you're listening. I'll open the phone lines just before midday today. We will give away two pairs of tickets uh, each day. We'll take callers 10 and 11 if you're a ballet fan. Um, and you can make it to the uh, to the gig uh, for opening night Thursday the 2nd of November so that's between now and midday today also don't forget Spinal Injuries Ireland are having their big jazz ball the Cork Jazz Ball on Saturday night at the Radisson Blue Little Island I was chatting with John Toomey about it yesterday they've given me a table of six to give away and I probably will do that tomorrow in fact I can guarantee you I'll do it tomorrow because Friday will be mental so it's a fabulous night for you and your friends all six of you will uh, first of all there's a great reception there's a, a drinks reception at half past five dinner is at half past six the Rugby World Cup final will be shown on the big screens at eight o'clock and then it's dancing away the night to live jazz DJ raffle auction everything uh, did I mention there's also a gin reception um, and then a delicious dinner so we will give away that uh, table tomorrow for six people if you want to go tickets are 100 euro per person 75 euro for anybody under 30 and you can get tickets for the Cork Jazz Ball in aid of Spinal Injuries Ireland by contacting Philip at spinalinjuries.ie so good luck with that do we have any luck at all trying to help out the Cork City Hospital Children's Club? I was chatting with John Looney. They do incredible work to help sick kids on Side to fulfil their dreams. And a lot of the time it's taking families and the children themselves off to Euro Disney. Now, this year, uh, their special uh, Christmas extravaganza is actually going to happen in Parky Cueve. So well done to Parky Cueve for coming on board and facilitating the Cork City Hospital Children's Club. So Santa Claus and Mrs. Claus... And everybody else in the North Pole will be visiting Parky Cueve uh, a little later on this year from the 29th of November onwards uh, uh, for a few days. And the children will be heading down. So we were talking yesterday, they need 10 seven-foot artificial Christmas trees. They need 40 sets of white lights for those trees. They need five large rolls of rope lighting for around Santi's room. And for the party room, and they need a bench and chairs for Santi's room so the families can sit on them waiting to meet Santa Claus. And they were also hoping that somebody involved in pizza 
uh, production or making would might be kind enough to sponsor some pizza as well for the couple of days down in Parky Creek. So if you can help us, there are a lot of people who are involved in, you know, selling and distributing uh, Christmas decorations to businesses. Uh, maybe you might think about maybe contributing something from that list. Uh, and if you can help the Cork City Hospital Children's Club, give me a text with your text 0868 104106. Uh, so we were just chatting there before 11 with regards to driving hab- habits and Tom was talking about use of screens and people watching things on screens. Neil, did you know that people record Snapchats while they're driving in their cars? People video themselves while driving and they video the speed that they're doing while driving. Um, I mean, nothing would surprise me now with regards to the craziness. And you wonder, is that what's going on when you're behind somebody that's swaying all over the road or are they langers? Or is it a combination of both? Now, the texter says this morning, uh, look at all of the new cars. Uh, they're being operated mainly with one large tablet screen. Look at Tesla. I believe you can't even turn on the wipers without punching a button on the tablet on the screen. Absolutely bizarre. And every time, of course, you reach out to touch a screen, it's distracting. But cars now are all screens, aren't they? I mean, thankfully, we still, my car anyway, we still have wipers and, you know, you, you flick them up with the on the side of the steering wheel. Text 0868104106. Back to the phone lines we go. Simone. Uh, Hello. Hope I'm pronouncing your name right. At least at a good stab of it. Is it Simone? Yeah. Yes, it's, it's, you're right. You're okay. Right, yeah. You're talking a little while ago there with regards to availability of Gardaí. Tom was talking about never seeing Gardaí on the roads in the middle of the night or what have you. You have an issue with the Garda station, is it? Um, not really with the Garda station. I just want, uh, I just, I had an issue with a driver who hit me and ran off. Uh, was that a hit and, and run of the, hit you or hit the car? Yeah, I was taking my kids to school in the morning on Friday morning, just uh, about 8 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. At the Great William O'Brien Street, just uh, at the junction uh, to Cathedral Road, close to Neptune. So the guy just hit me and ran off. I think he ran the traffic light too. And then he went towards the gather station, uh, forgetting the name of the street, towards the brewery. Then I followed him. And when, I, when he got to the brewery junction, of course, there's a traffic light there. He had to stop. Then I stopped and I said, why didn't you stop? A lady got out, you know, like uh, stuttered and started cussing. Wait a second. And, and so, okay, because just slow down a little bit. Uh, it's it's difficult to, okay. to make out everything you're saying because you're obviously, you know, excited about what, what happened. But <laughs> So you were your car was hit by another car. The car drove off. You followed the car. The car yeah. stopped at traffic lights. What happened then? Yeah. Yeah. And then I stopped. And I asked the driver, why did you run away? A lady got out of the passenger seat and started saying all sorts of things to me, you know, cuss words that I should have just driven off and maybe taken the uh, registration number. <laughs> I said, I, I asked her, are you for her? You know, she wasn't sounding sober. That's my guess. She wasn't sounding sober, for- but she was shouting yeah, abuse yeah, yeah. at you for following her. I said, uh, uh, I said, you hit me and you didn't stop and you're saying this. She now walked off and said, I'm not the driver, I'm the passenger. So I proceeded to the car to see if I'll get the driver to come down and at least say sorry or have a look at the damage. It's a little scratch, but the dangerous driving was my worry. I had my kids in the car. Right. Okay. So, okay. Okay. So the man reversed again and ran off. 
She jumped back in, though, did she? He reversed and drove away. Yes, and drove away. I think the lady, you know, jumped back in as he was driving towards uh, Lechim Street. So my my daughter was smart enough to take a picture of the the registration number. Good, good. I took them to school, and then I called Blackpool Garden Station, and I was told to come in, to walk in and make a report that they can't take this report. No, and they can't really because people need to make an extra effort and go in. Otherwise, they don't... A lot of the time, you don't know how serious people are. So I went to the station. As I was about to enter the station, a police officer, you know, kind of stopped me from entering. You know, sir, that this station is closed. Closed. I said, I understand. I live in Blackpool. I, I know I know it's not a 24-hour station, but I called and I was told to walk in. Then he started asking me, what is it about? I told him. That was when he said, okay, can I see your car? I said, I'm, I'm parked at the Maxwell there. It's a little distance, but I can walk you. He said, no, 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 no. I should come in and, you know, do the report. But some of the questions they asked me, which I wouldn't want to go into now, were just... Uh, <laughs> but he took my details. I gave him the, the other vehicle details. I gave him my phone number, my registration, my full name and everything, my, my driver's license. And he said he would call me back the next day. And because I've had an incident before and I went to Garda, uh, uh Blackpool station and I wasn't even allowed to come in. He could hear voices. The station was locked and you would knock and no one would answer you. You call on the phone. Like this morning, I've, before I sent you this message, I've called them four or five times. But they're Nobody open. Like I just, cause I just Googled Watercourse Road Garda Station a while ago. Yes, and today's yes. opening hours are 9 in the morning to 5 p.m. Yes, that's that's every get, single day. But if you get to the station, you will see a big sign in the front door saying that this is not a 24-hour station. I can understand that. But pick your phone. You don't. I called them four or five times this morning. I can still call them when I hang up. They will not pick the phone. But if you walk now, in there before five o'clock you today, walk in you would there, be able I walked in there. I walked in there previously, and I could hear voices in there, and I knocked severally, and no one opened the door. And was that between nine in the morning and five p.m.? Of course. Of course. You couldn't get in during the opening hours. Yeah. I'm telling you, the guy I met on Friday nearly stopped me from entering. He just told me that the station is closed. The station is closed. How? I said, I called, and someone told me to walk in and make it. Okay, report. that's, that's kind that of bizarre, because I have the opening is. hours here. So why would they... I mean, is it that they just don't have staff? Possibly, because I keep hearing over the radio about, you know, being short-staffed and so on, but I mean, you take your call, and if someone walks to the station, you don't know if it's an emergency. Okay, that uh, okay. That's, that's, um, that is worrying if they're the opening hours, but they, people still can't get in during the opening hours or get to meet a guard at, at a desk. Like, because people have a lot of documents that they need signing or stamping or things done. Yeah. How are you supposed to do that? Go to a different guard station, perhaps? I don't know. But l- yeah. l- let me just put it to you like this. Are, are you wasting guard time with a small scratch on the car? Or do you want to report somebody the way they behaved and drove off? Oh, Neil, every day I hear on your show about road accidents and dangerous driving. Yeah. I, even this morning I was listening to why people... Of course, possibly 90% of the accidents are due to distraction or recklessness. It's really very clear. Or intoxication of one sort or another. Yes, so, and that's recklessness. So 
if I am going to school with my kids in the morning and someone hits me, he dropped dangerously because he tried to overtake me even when he had he didn't have the right. I was waiting behind the car, a car that was waiting for the traffic light, yeah. and he wanted to overtake me. I guess why he ran off was either it's my guess, either because he didn't want to be questioned by the guards, maybe he was intoxicated. I don't know. So there was a reason you think for him wanting to get yeah. away from the scene. What? It could be yeah. tax, insurance, intoxication. Anything. And yes, <laughs> exactly. Okay. But for the dangerous driving, I made a report to the police, and I expected to be reached back at least. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You've made it and have the information and you'll be following up to see if they got in touch and tracked down the car, Reg, yeah? Yeah. Okay, okay. Do do stay in touch and let me know if you hear I anything would. back. You need to be very careful, though, following another motorist. He could equally, or she could have, um, I, I know, know that she was verbally abusive, but it could have ended up in a fight, a physical fight. I know, I know. And then you could have found yourself in trouble because a, a yes, lawyer could say that you were the protagonist because you followed them. No, but we, we had witnesses and there should be a camera at the junction anyway. Okay, but no, but you know, I know, I you know what I'm saying? I understand, I understand what you mean exactly because I could have taken his number immediately, but I didn't. Uh, then I followed the man up to... Uh, the brewery junction just after the same gather station yeah I followed him up to there where the light stopped him and then I asked didn't you see you hit me why didn't you stop and the lady got out and started cussing out so my daughter took the number took a picture of the number and that was it I let them drive off what, so like, what kind of things to, was she saying incidentally you don't have she to said, uh, uh, I don't need to use the words you know like why didn't you drive off you could have just you know used the, the so effing yeah, and blinding kind of thing, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah, okay, okay. Let 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 me know if anything comes back with regards to Gordy checking out the car edge, yeah? I will. Okay, thanks for now, Simone. Come back to me. Appreciate it. Back after the break. Text 0868-104-106. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818-104-106. Red FM. Okay, just for Simone's benefit, Garda Press actually do have a record of that uh, road traffic collision because that, that's what it was. They said they are investigating a two-vehicle road traffic collision that occurred in the Blackpool area in Cork City on Friday the 20th of October at approximately um, 7 p.m. Uh, how I don't, how can this be the same one? He was dropping his kids to school, so it wouldn't be a 7 p.m. It must be another one. One vehicle remained at the scene. No injuries were reported at the time. Um, anyway, uh, we were saying that the incident we were talking about happened on Friday morning. Uh, we're wondering that they had followed up and they came back and said, well, yeah, Friday, October 20th, um, 2023 at 7 p.m. So, I don't know. I'll have to see if it's a different one. I was given the impression that it was the same one. Um, I saw a car coming up Main Street, Carrick Tool, a few weeks back. It was a Skoda car. I was dumbfounded to see this woman driving a car with a cup in her hand. Not a cup you'd get in a garage, but a household cup in her hand, driving. It's a pity I didn't take a photo of this, but I was dumbfounded looking at this. Absolutely nuts. Yeah, I know what you're saying. That means that she's literally driving the entire cor- the entire route while there was tea or coffee in the cup 
with only one hand. I know a guy in the fire service and almost all road traffic accidents he attends are the result of using a phone while driving. Simple solution, technology in cars that disables everything on your phone except incoming and emergency calls. Everything else, you have to pull over and turn off the ignition. I wonder would they ever think of introducing that technology into new cars? Is it a fact, it is it a fact that drivers under the influence of drugs need to be fidgeting on a phone or fidgeting with something while driving because of the influence of the drugs. So drugs would have that effect on you, but perhaps alcohol wouldn't. And interestingly, Mary always said, you should be naming and shaming the langers who are setting off fireworks every night. Tell me some more about that. Is it neighbours? Is it housing estates? There's nothing that I love better than a good fireworks display. But I imagine it must be the plague of some people if it's happening left and right and centre and bangers and fireworks in the housing estate. Um, I think maybe fireworks should be by professionals at specific times of the year because there's nothing nicer than seeing them. Anyway, text 0868104106. Anthony, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Uh, I'm still staying with, with phones and stories related to phones. Go ahead. Yeah, I was, I was walking up the other day up um, Patrick Street towards... Um, in Don Square. I know it, yeah. And there was a girl coming towards me and uh, she was on her phone. Now, I'm going to Dublin for the weekend and I dread the thoughts of it because I'd have a wheelie case with me and um, she bumped into a pole <laughs> while, while walking with the phone. <laughs> Should I be laughing at that, I wonder? Is it, is it, well, cr- I, uh, is it cruel? <laughs> well, I don't know, but the thing is like that. I, I, I just can't understand it. Why they cannot put their phones away for a little bit. Because they are addicted to them, my friend. I know, I know they're it addicted to them. It is an addiction. Them. It's called FOMO, the fear of missing out. They don't want to look around. They don't want to look up. They don't want to see what's happening in nature. They just want that little screen. They're addicted. Yeah, well, anyway, as I, as I said, it's, it's, it's just um, un, unreal because uh, I... I even without the suitcase, I've had people uh, walking into me because of the fact of the, of the phone. Oh, sorry. And I'd say sorry too, but like I'd say, can you not put your phone away? Do you say that to them? I do, yeah. What is this? I have, I have a phone. Now, I'm not one of these high-tech savvy fa- fans with the phones. I, I have a Marsbar phone. <laughs> Marsbar phone? And uh, I only use it for texting and calls and, mess- you know, messages and things like that. So when you've said to somebody who's bumped into you, would you not put your phone away, what do they say back? Uh, off is the second word. F off. Yeah, charming, isn't yeah. it? What, have you ever yeah. been on a, a train or even better still, a bus and take a look around at the people on the bus? They're all I on the phones. Reg- yeah, I travel regularly on the buses and the trains. Un- unreal. The art of conversation is gone now. Yes, indeed. Where, it where, certainly where, is. Where people, you know, you, you get on the bus and you talk to somebody, like you you talk about how how the day went for them or how the weather is or what do you think of the weather, etc. 
People might not want to engage with strangers, though. They mightn't want to pass the time of day. It might be weird to them, you know? Yeah, but, like, I'm a young 63. You know? Yeah. And, like, I... I mean, would you not be slow to strike up a conversation with someone that you didn't know? To be because they might think it's about a bit weird or you're invading their space or you know they they might get nervous. I'd be wary right, of that. Uh, like you wouldn't know. I don't know, but but, but I just think it's a, an absolute disgrace. And these phone company shops that are selling them, they're selling them like for a thousand euro, five hundred euro, um, eight hundred euro, and like. And they're so addicted to them, I can tell you, Anthony, that that €1,000 phone becomes, in inverted commas, obsolete in 12 months' time, and they want the new model. It's insane. Oh, I know that. It's insane. I know that. Then again, it's their own money, and they can do what they want with it. Yeah, but could I just tell you another thing, uh, away from the phones? Um, Listening to... I listened to the nighttime show there by... um, uh, You Don't Be On, but I listened to the nighttime show... With Niall Boylan on Classic Hit. Okay, good man, good man. He 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 was on there a couple of weeks ago, and he was talking. It this is a uh, uh, how would I put it now? It's a bit um, all fake, but he he said, "Do you know the reason why people now are going out, and they 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 go out and 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 they, you know they." Have a have a few pints and all that. Yeah. But they're they're no they're no longer drinking twenty pints to get a buzz. They're taking um, two or three lines of uh, you know what I'm talking about. Oh yeah, cocaine's become a big social uh, big 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 social replacement now for recreational activity. Um, yeah. Different generations now don't drink. They take a few lines of coke. Yeah. So there's nothing there's nothing new about that. Yeah, but like, as I said, um, you don't know whether they have it in. No wonder, no wonder it's coming in like left, right and centre. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's an awful you lot know. of hypocrisy about um, about drugs in Ireland and many of the people who are talking about it are users themselves. All right, Anthony, thanks for that. Appreciate it. Text 0868-104-106. Pick up the phone on 0818-104-106. Um, it is all about food now in the pubs and getting everybody out earlier. The few pints at night generation are dying and they're not being replaced. You can't blame the pubs for closing earlier on quiet nights. No, I'm not. I'm just saying, and, and originally it was an email from a chap who goes out midweek and has his three or four pints, but he found that on numerous occasions he'd have one or two and then the pub is saying, we're closing. You can have one more. That would never have happened years ago. It would have been closing time, full stop. It's all changing in that regard. Um, you made a point about why it's important to have a parallel cash and card in place. Um, this is to do with, um, you know, transactions and what have you. Um, I think that there probably, yeah, I did earlier, but I think that there is probably room for both. I don't think that cash should ever be annihilated or got rid of. Um, maybe that's a generational thing. Young people probably wouldn't agree with me. They'd say that they never carry cash and it's all tap and go, but you're leaving yourself wide open of course to hacking if you use cards and you're using tech once a company has been hacked Neil like say the HSE anyone that they're in contact with also 
is at serious risk, says Jerry. Yes, indeed. And one other scam from this morning. There's a new scam doing the rounds now. I received a text last night purporting to be from Vodafone, who I'm not even with, claiming that my service will be disabled due to non-acceptance of terms of use. And it came from an 087 number. Well, clearly, all of those things, all of those texts, they're always scams. They always want you to click on something and that will lead you into a rabbit hole of divulging more and more your personal information and maybe even bank details. Uh, and if you're naive enough to do that, then you will be robbed. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. It was at work on the roads last week, Neil, and a woman in traffic was eating a bowl of cornflakes stuck in traffic. As the fella says, you couldn't make it up. I mean, my God. Keep those coming, those texts. Text 0868104106. I'm intrigued about those that are watching, say, TikTok or YouTube or television shows on their mobile phones while driving a a mechanically propelled vehicle. Anyway, back to the phone lines we go. A lot to do between now and midday. Fast one from GMC Beats, Gary McCarthy. Gary, good morning. Good morning. How's it going? I'm good, brother. I'm good. You've been in touch with a young guy called MC Abdul from Gaza, right? A rapper from Gaza. You've been in touch with him for four years. Yes. Okay. Yeah, you, since did 2019. You, did you work with them or how did he come into your radar, this young man from Gaza? Yeah, so it's basically August 2019. He sent me an email um, looking for someone just to help him with music because he's a, he's a rapper in Gaza and he was just, he was Googling like rap workshops or rap tutors and stuff like that. And he came across my website. So he sent down an email and um, just ever since that, then we've been in touch with him. Um, we've we've linked them up with a couple of the projects that we have here in Cork at the Cabin Studio and at the Hood in Gronabraha as well. We we had him like collaborating with some of the young people, and um, he's like unbelievably talented kid. Like he's fifteen now. He just turned fifteen, but we we've been working with him since he was eleven. But he he writes he he writes and records raps. Uh, he started off by kind of like doing covers. And he used rap as a way to actually learn English. And now he, he speaks, like, absolutely perfect English. Where is he now? Where is he now? Luckily, he's not in Gaza right now because he got a huge opportunity to go to um, to go to the States. So he's, he's between San Francisco and L.A. for a few weeks. So literally, like, he left, I think he left mid-end September. And then a couple of weeks later, the, the war happened in Gaza. So himself and his dad are not there at the moment. But unfortunately, his family is. So, so he, he must be beside sibling. himself with worry, is he? It's it's crazy. Like, he's he's supposed to be living his dream now over there, work on music and make connections and work with big producers. And um, But, like, we were chatting to him. We're, we're in contact. We're constantly in touch with him over the last you know, a couple of weeks. Um, he he feels uncomfortable being away from home, even though the devastation that's being caused in Gaza at the moment, uh, he, he wants to be with his family because literally he doesn't know if he'll get a call from someone saying that his family will be killed. And that, they are trapped and he doesn't know where they are, whether they're removing they're his trapped. refugees. His, his siblings are split up between uncles and stuff like that. They're sheltering in UN schools. They're They're sheltering in hospitals and... There's, he's he's already lost child, childhood friends. There's people that I've even been connected with that we think have, have been killed. Okay. Um, I've, I've, ever since working with Abdul, um, I've, I've, I've a lot of friends or people on Instagram that I'd be friends with. I'm just seeing them posting up saying that their families have been killed. Like It's, oh, it's crazy what's going on. And the fact is, that how old is MC Abdul? 
he's 15. Oh, but the fact man. that a lot of people in Europe are being very, very silent about it, and it's it's frightening. It's frightening. Um, but like, what what we want to do is just kind of promote promote, with you know, be, if promote what goes on in Palestine, Josh. Show, show what goes on in Palestine to the world, and just so that people start talking up about I it. Know, you know, I know, I know, uh, I know, because we we have a personal connection ourselves there. You know, so. Uh, it's it's completely not right. And even myself and Sean Downey there from the cabin, we were actually in Rome last week. Um, we got a chance to meet uh, Michael D. Higgins actually at the uh, the Irish Embassy over there, and we we handed him a letter direct from Abdul himself. And even even he said to us, he said. We we cannot allow this to continue know, with, uh, know, to, to, to happen to the Palestinians. You're, you're, it's you're, been going on for years. Like I know we're all talking about it now, but this has been going on for many years. You know, and oh, it's, just, it's it's absolutely it's only when, tragic. I, I understand. It's that. only when things get bad that's when people talk about it. But I know. I just wanted. To, I know. I understand that. But for the little time that I have, I just wanted to highlight yeah. it. MC Abdul, fifteen year old yes. from Gaza, being away from family. I know that he has, he has, like he's producing music. His new song called he's done one called Palestine, which is actually, uh, is it? A, it's a mash of an Eminem song. So, yeah, so that song was actually recorded in 2021 in the last one one of the, the wars that happened in Gaza. So we recorded that in 2021, but he's released a few songs since, but okay. the, the song Palestine would have been the one that it, it got went really viral at the time. It's, it's on millions and millions of views. Okay, can that I just play a little bit of it, world. if you don't mind? Is that a Go for it, Jack. Okay, yeah. thanks, Gary. Cheers, man. Palestine's been occupied for decades, but a home for centuries. This land is generations of my family's memories. To play and grow and nurture the symbol of peace. The olive tree is guaranteed that our people could eat. Living with limitations, push down to the occupation. Wanna see the pain? Take a look at the people's faces. Imagine being kicked out of the only house you ever known. We're praying for our souls while they're praying on our homes. It's not easy to put this into words. Looking at my baby sister, is this something she deserves? Growing up in a world where she's not treated the same. Denied the right to live free because of where she came. They want to occupy this land. Won't let them occupy my mind. I stay occupied aside as I write about my life. Because my only mission is to make people listen. This one's for Sheikh Jarrah, hoping it can make a difference. Cause the same thing happened in 48. My grandparents got evicted and forced to move away to the refugee camp in Gaza. No, nothing has changed. They could never return, so that's where I am today. Getting calls from cousins to see if I am alive. This year is not fireworks that are lighting the sky. We're trying to celebrate an aid and keep the faith. I guess you could say it's how memories are made. Full of sleep. See Abdul, um, little fifteen-year-old lad from Gaza. From Gaza, he's going, uh, he's going places musically. But of course, uh, the tragedy of what's unfolding within his homeland. Thank you so much to Gary McCarthy, G- GMC Beats, for bringing that young uh, Gazaian lad, MC Abdul, 
uh, to our attention. He's with his dad in America now and of course is beside himself with worry about family and friends back home. Text 0868104106. The Neil Prendeville Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 0818104106. Okay, I'll come back to text in the morning. Keep them coming. Text 0868104106. We're heading into Samhain. We're heading into Halloween and I know I had a bit of an old rant this morning about the costumes that people wear that they have absolutely nothing at all to do with uh, Halloween itself as such and if I had my way it would be just witches or you know banshee costumes or skeleton costumes something just to keep it focused on what it's all about as opposed to becoming so Americanized. but um, I spent a couple of hours last night uh, sitting down reading a very very entertaining and interesting book when you talk about tradition right and you talk about things that have been handed down through the generations we all know of cures right and we all know of the different cures that are handed down a word of mouth usually from you know one generation to the next it could be involving different herb cures or vegetation or it might be you know faith healers or the seventh son or seventh son um, you know passing them down a lot of the time in secret I mentioned that because Cecily Gilligan has a new book out it's called Curses sorry Cures of Ireland I should say talking about curses in Halloween Cures of Ireland it was just published in, in August and uh, Cecily good morning I think you spoke to hundreds and hundreds of different people um, and managed to uh, get your hands on something like 119 or more Irish cures. Is that right? Yes, good morning, Neil. Uh, thanks for having me on your show. Yeah, I interviewed over 90 people that had uh, traditional cures that are alive and well and still in use today. And they would be, as you said, a mixture of the herbal cures and faith cures, so involving prayer and uh, lots of ritual involved also. Yeah, so there's prayer or there's herbs or there's vegetation or there's holy wells, or going on a pilgrimage, or or sticking pieces of clothing on (laughs) rag trees, religious symbols. I mean, how far back does all of this go? Well, I mean, it's hard to know, but I think it goes back probably hundreds, thousands of years, I would say, thousands of years. The first people came to Ireland, we think, about 10,000 years ago. So um, all these things have a very ancient history. And you were talking about Samhain there. So obviously Samhain is what we now know as Halloween. But in the Irish language, Samhain is Iahauna is Halloween night. And then Samhain is November. So people would have been celebrating Samhain for thousands of years in Ireland. And the people in the past, Celtic people or people that we had in our country in the past and were descended from uh, it was believed to be a time when we were closest to our ancestors we were closest to the dead mm. and uh, it wasn't necessarily a scary time as part of the natural cycle of life birth and death and um, the Celtic people seemed to be, uh, they, yeah, it was, it's the start of winter uh, is the, Halloween is the start of the winter season and also the Celtic people saw it as the start of their year, their new year was for um, for Samhain and also at the time when we are when we were believed and we probably still are closest to the fairies so um, they would have believed in the past that uh, you know the fairies lived in the fairy forts which are all over Ireland Yeah in the book you say there's about 45,000 remaining fairy forts Um, but, but fairies didn't live in them they were actually homes of our ancestors from thousands of years ago is it what you're saying? 
Well, it's, it's, yeah, it's kind of a mixture. I mean, if you look at a fairy fort today, people will say that's a, well, we had a fairy fort on our land when we were growing up in, in Monroe, County Sligo. So we believe that was where the fairies lived. But also, they, yeah, they were used for human habitation uh, for thousands of years. And they're usually on hills and they're usually in, in prominent places and they were defensive for people. But uh, yeah, today we still believe, and, and people in rural Ireland won't, they're very cautious and they're very careful of the fairy forts. They won't touch them. Oh, listen, um, they redirect most motorways around them, don't they? <laughs> they do, they do. That seemingly happened uh, somewhere in, in near Dromoland Castle. In Clare, yeah. The Eddie uh, Lenehan, yeah. the, uh, the Shanachie exactly. was behind that. I hope to talk exactly. to him tomorrow. On the air. But when you're talking of a time, say, when there were, we had kings in Ireland a long, long, t- long time ago, then of course you had the, the monks and the monasteries and they were very much front and centre with regards to cures traditionally and, and medicines and potions, weren't they? We, we, we didn't have doctors then, so is that where people went because you list loads of cures for every single body part yeah so basically like it's all modern medicine as we know it currently is fairly new to Ireland certainly in the 1900s if not later like uh, the 1960s 1970s there was a lot of change started to take place in Ireland and primarily because you know when we joined the European Union the EEC I think it was 1974 73 um, that made a big uh, a big change and basically prosperity started to come into rural Ireland and to Ireland in general and prior to that Neil people would have relied you know primarily on the cures, the traditional cures that were held within communities and within families and passed on for generation to generation. And a lot of people I would have interviewed, uh, older people have said, you sure when I was young, you know, in the 50s or 60s or 40s, you know, you were you went to the doctor when you were dying. So everything else was treated as best it could be within your community, within your family. And the same for animal cures. But like what kind of, of cures were actually effective well, I mean, today the, the cures that I was investigated are still are still there and they're still in use. And people would, like, for example, give cures for for headaches, for for the for heart problems, uh, skin cancer, gallstones, colic, uh, burns. The bleeding cure is very common. Uh, so there's lots of cures out there. And I ask people that I interviewed, you know, why do people get your cure and not go to a doctor? And they will say, well, because it, you know, it works. Um, it, if if it didn't work, it would die. I would have died out and what I ultimately concluded in my book was I think I think the cures uh, I don't think they work for everybody and work every time but I do think they work for many people and, and is it a really a cure or is it psychosomatic is it mind over body or what do you think well, I think it's probably a mixture of all. Yeah, I would say that the cure. So you go to, you go for the cure say, of uh, of shingles, and it's a herbal cure. So, but uh, you know, usually there's a nice uh, there's a nice human interaction also occurs. You go, you talk to the lady that has the cure, and she talks to you. You tell her about your problems and how your shingles are affecting you. And often there's a cup of tea involved. So there's a nice personal interaction there, which I think is very helpful and reassuring and helping people on their healing journey. It's positive and proactive going out looking for a cure and then also a lot of cures there is I believe a spiritual dimension to the traditional cures also because many of them most of them will involve prayer uh, prayer or some kind of ritual and that's also a very positive thing because it's sort of taking you away from the physical so what I would say the traditional cures are a mixture of you know they're quite holistic the body mind and spirit everything is in yeah, there and everything but, is interconnected but the actual cure could have herbs and plants in it that's actually used oh, now yes. today in, in, in modern medicine right 
Exactly, yeah. But and uh, the pharmaceutical industry will always investigate plants that uh, worldwide that are known to have a healing reputation, and then and you know the you know, you know the people who have yes. the cures. Do they do they, yes. they and they still practice? Do they charge for them? Well, it varies, but in general, uh, they don't charge them. Now, the, the, what is very strong is the exchange, exchange tradition, which means that if you go for a cure, say you go to someone and they have the cure for headache and they help you, or you go for the cure to them, uh, you give them a gift. So you might give them uh, a bottle of wine or a box of chocolates or a bunch of flowers, you know, the normal yeah. stuff we give gifts to people. And that's always been very strong in rural Ireland um, or in Ireland in general. And people have said it's very important to give a little gift. Now, some people want nothing. Some people don't want even a thanks. Uh, some people will accept money, and often I found people will give the money onto a charity, okay. like the hospice, yeah. for example. Okay. And then a few people did charge, especially if they had a herbal cure, they did charge a small fee uh, because they didn't want lots of bucks. Because some faith healers, some faith healers don't, others do, and some of those that do are said to be charlatans. Yeah, well, uh, I suppose I can only speak from my own experience. Um, and I interviewed people and I didn't come across any of that. I thought people were very generous of spirit and generous of their time and energy. Yeah, um, no, I'm just saying. They weren't uh, using like... for... But I, yeah, I know I appreciate it. And sure, most things in life, some people can exploit things. Yeah, but... but... Um, I tried to, sorry, I tried to focus on the traditional cures. But just an ordinary person like you or I, we would have a cure. I might have a in cure. In all of the counties more. of Ireland, you went so and knocked simple. on their door, yeah and sat down with them. Yeah. You, 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 did you come across the seventh son of the seventh son kind of a, a healer? Or does it work for the seventh daughter of the seventh daughter? Yeah. Yes, it does. It does. So I came across, I interviewed, I think, about nine seventh sons and seven daughters in my book. Now, that thing of a seventh son of a seventh son, um, I never come across anybody in that category. And I think that you would have had to have a very large family. So you'd have to have seven children, seven boys. They have to be born in a row or seven girls. They can't have a girl or a boy in mm. between them. It's the consecutive births of all boys or all girls. That gives you the qualification. And then to have a seven son, then you'd obviously have to have another huge family. So this is a cure that's actually dying out in Ireland. Because, because families aren't that now, big. But, two, but is there two a... is the average birth rate, I think, in Ireland currently. Two is the average birth rate. Years and Something years ago, like you had massive years. families. But was there a yes. gift for the seven? Did the seventh son have a gift? Yes, they had a gift. Now, traditionally, um, when the child was born, they have the cure of ringworm. That's the traditional cure associated. And quite a few people would have told me that uh, they were tested with the worm when they were a baby. So one woman, for example, born in County Longford in the Midlands, she said she was she was told this by her mum. She was a baby and the midwife said, uh, you know, can we test her? They knew she was a seventh daughter. Can we test her with the worm? So they literally put a worm on the child's hand. And if they have the cure, the worm dies and it dies very quickly within a few minutes. And if they don't, she's um, got a highly contagious disease in the baby. <laughs> huh? That's a deadly one, so, ringworm. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so, that, so they cure the ringworm and literally just by touching it and they might make a, a sign of the cross on it or one, one person used a, a gold wedding ring. So it kind of varies. The traditions vary or the rituals vary. But basically, yeah, the seven sons and seven daughters, they're, they're out there still they're probably less I, and less of them but, I saw some, um, I, I, and they cure the ringworm I saw some cracking ones in the book you know um, there was one of them uh, a fellow who would take the hair from the back of a donkey and put it into an envelope uh, others were using shoelaces and string knots and prayers and there was the one of licking a frog or some kind of a frog and then there was a cracking one uh, a cure for the sty in the eye point a gooseberry bush ni- at a 
point at a gooseberry bush nine times and say, away, away, away. <laughs> Gas yeah, I know, I know. But Lady Wilde, who was Oscar's mother, this would mean the late 1800s, uh, she, she was a folklore collector and she would have documented that cure. But I, I'm a primary school teacher and I was teaching country kids here in Royal Sligo about 10 years ago or more. And uh, we were talking about the cures and they said, oh, we still do that. We get the gooseberry thorn and we point it at the sty and we do it that. We do that to cure the die in the eye. And so, one way of curing uh, so that some... hundreds of years. Yeah, Sorry. Some way of that, I'm just conscious of time and I'm keen to chat with you, yes, but there was one there that I saw a section in the book called Transference, where you would take an illness, uh, or the curer or the healer would take the illness from the human and transfer it to a poor old horse or a cow or a pig or something. Yes. Or, or maybe another human being they didn't like. Yes, yeah. People, people could inflict bad luck on other people by uh, pishogery. It's called a pishog. You would maybe uh, wrap something that would rot, like old eggs or something. Wrap them up, and then you throw it into your neighbour's land that you don't like. And as that rotted, their luck would rot, rot with it. With it. But today, people would still do that, Neil, because when we go to the holy wells that most people would be aware of, we have the rag trees, which are pre-Christian, a very, very old, uh, old idea of healing. And basically, what people do is they they leave a little something of their behind. It might be a handkerchief, it might be a tissue, a sock, a scarf. In the old days they tore a rag from their clothing. But the belief is that as that rag or that item disappears, the illness or the problem you have, it could be a psychological problem of, you know, marital, financial, whatever. Depression, perhaps. That would disappear. That would disappear and people would say they, they, the, the idea is that you leave at the rag tree you leave your worries there you leave your problem behind fascinating so it's a very old idea fascinating one last question for you and I encourage people <laughs> to get your book it's called Cures of Ireland uh, Cecily Thank Gilligan when, with, with, with Halloween and, and I know you're, you're a school teacher so I'm wondering what it's like for the kids inside in your classroom and the old traditions of Halloween or the old games we played whether it was the bucket with the apples in it stuck with coins or snap apple with the apple hanging from the from the from the ceiling are are they dying out well, you know, as you were just saying at the intro to the to the piece here, um, they are dying out. And as you said, it's all become quite Americanized. But, you know, hopefully we can, uh, you know, I mean, so long as the children are happy and having fun and enjoying themselves, that's the main thing. But it was important for us to, re- to reclaim our traditions. For example, when I was growing up in the 1970s uh, in rural Sligo, again, we went out scaring people. There was no trick-or-treating, but we, we dressed up kind of, uh, and we made little cardboard masks using the cornflake boxes. That's right. Right, the cornflakes box. We scared ourselves more than anybody else because walking down country lanes and pitch Now dark. you can buy the plastic real thing, but before you made them with the cereal box. I yeah, and we can make wonderful things. And we, are, we, you know, in school we'd always have little parades and little celebrations. And actually, the children that make the homemade costumes and their mums and dads help them to pull it together, they always get the best prizes. So um, remember that. Well said. And there's one last one last game I'll just tell you about real quickly. Um, an old game we played in our family. Three saucers is a game of divination so you had three saucers one had water on it one had clay and one had the ring and the child was blindfolded and turned around three times and then you reach out your hand and they move around the saucers and whichever saucer you touch so if you touch the ring you're going to be married if you touch the water you're going travelling and if you touch the clay you're going to die oh keep so the clay away yeah. but come here I'm hearing now in the world that we live in now that you can buy barmbracks that are being sold with no ring no ring in it, no stick, no pee, nothing. I mean, what's oh, that about? That's sad, isn't I it? I know. For fear of choking hazards, I suppose. 
<laughs> I know, and all those have lovely, lovely traditions, and we have wonderful heritage and wonderful traditions in Ireland. So it's important to remember them and to keep them going. All right, pass girl. Them on to future generations. Happy Halloween to you. Thanks for taking the call, Cecily. Do okay, appreciate it. Okay, Gramila Mangat. Thank you. Cecily Gilligan, the author of Cures of Ireland. Get involved in that, particularly if you have stories of old cures. I have a whole list of them here, actually. I'll pick it up in the morning, that and lots more besides. Have a good day. Oh, phone lines are open uh, for Swan Lake. Where's the bleeding paperwork on? I had it there a second. Oh, here it is. Cork City Ballet of uh, Swan Lake. It's the 30th anniversary of the uh, Cork City Ballet celebrating 30 years in the Opera House. Full scale production of Swan Lake. Uh, we have tickets to give away right now. Uh, two pairs of tickets for the opening night, Thursday the 2nd of November. Get dialing 0818 Have a good day. I'll see you tomorrow. For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts.